Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. Which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Welcome to Sacred Symbols, the Internet's most beloved PlayStation podcast. If you want to get our show three days earlier than free feeds and completely without ads, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. Your support on Patreon also allows you to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to our show, gives you the ability to vote on the Let's Plays we do, allows you access to exclusive podcasts, and more. You can also buy Sacred Symbols merch by going to tinyurl.com slash sacredshirts. I suspect you'd look damn sexy with our logo emblazoned across your chest, but that's just one man's opinion. Of course, we love our free feed listening audience, too. If you don't have the means or desire to show us support on Patreon or with merch, please consider leaving us a nice review on the podcast service of your choice and let friends and family know about Sacred Symbols. We, on the other hand, will keep making Tuesdays great again. But enough chatter. Have at you. On to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 57. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by the returning from New York, Chris Raygun. Yeah, I survived the plane. How was it? It was great. It always is. I miss it. Nice little red eye flight. Yeah, it was. I managed to sleep, though. So it it was entirely, entirely productive in that sense. I see. I, I can't really sleep on planes. Typically. 
Yeah. It's just it's too much. It is uncomfortable. Can't trust the people around you. You don't know even what these people are. You don't know these people. Yeah. But, you know, I think you're pretty safe in a plane. Yeah. Oh, yeah well, relative safety, I guess. Right. <laughs> Safer than driving a car, they say. Yeah. Yeah. They say that. And I agree with it. But I also, you know, also yep. kind of don't. My brain doesn't. It's kind of wild to think about these hulking many ton machines just hauling ass through the sky and they don't want to be in the air they're they're constantly being torn down by gravity it's pretty crazy and i i think it was louis ck that had some sort of routine about air travel a long time ago and how people need to shut the fuck up because it's so amazing everyone's like yeah. bitching when their plane's like a half an hour late and he's saying oh, these metal birds are hurtling through the sky yeah so pretty funny routine although i don't think it's okay to talk about louis ck anymore why i don't know oh, didn't, he, didn't he, he have a controversy of some sort yeah, but it wasn't like a like a Weinstein controversy. I think he uh, what did Louis C.K. do? I think he masturbated in front of some women. That's pretty extreme. It's pretty extreme. But it seems like people are trying to rehabilitate stories of him. people who are like, yeah, yeah, I let him. Yeah. I remember Sarah Silverman was like, yeah, it was just like casual. It's, I was like, what are you what's happening? It's a little weird. The comedian world seems a little strange. Definitely strange. Well, welcome back from New York. I wish I can uh, or could have been there with you because I love New York as well. I'll be going in October. Oh, yeah. So, so I'm pretty excited about that. I'll probably be back in December. December. I shot some stuff with my parents. It was good. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Now, Chris, you have your kill me shirt on. That's in the style <laughs> of the Seinfeld logo. You gave me a sticker. Yeah. I really enjoy this merch. Or, or do you want? Yeah, I'll let you pimp it here on our show if you want to tell people. I mean, about I don't it. have a, a vanity link yet, but it's the pinned tweet on my Twitter at uh, Chris at Chris Argun. It's just uh, it's just it's just it says kill me in the in the logo and font of Seinfeld. I did this a couple years ago with the Friends logo, and it and it did pretty well. So I figured it would work well again. It's I see no reason why it wouldn't. It's great. I love it. So yeah. go I like, I like it quite a bit. Go support Chris. Appreciate the free sticker. <laughs> now, Chris, I have a few announcements that we need to get through, and some of this will be a little redundant, but I'm going to keep reminding people. We're going to PAX West. Chris and I are going to PAX West. Mm -hmm. We will be there Monday, September 2nd at 1130 a.m. in the Hydra Theater at the Grand Hyatt Hotel in Seattle. This is our panel, the Sacred Symbols panel at PAX West. Please do come and support us again. 1130 in the morning, Monday, September 2nd. You'll need a PAX pass, I believe, obviously, to get in that day. And that episode will be streamed on Twitch on their Twitch channel. We don't have a Twitch channel, obviously, because I don't like live things, even though we're doing this. I still don't like them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know? it's but, not it's tricky. It's a different environment altogether. And yeah, so that will be. Not a standard episode. The standard episode will be delayed that week, but we will put that up as a Sacred Symbols Plus episode if we can get the audio. And I assume we will be able to do that. So again, Monday, September 2nd, 1130 a.m. Hydra Theater at PAX West. Sacred Symbols Live. Come see us. I just mentioned Sacred Symbols Plus. Sacred Symbols Plus is now uh, we announced that I think a week or two ago is now going to be kind of the second episode of Sacred Symbols each week. It's only for CLS patrons rolls out August 9th for five dollar and up a month patrons and then August 12th for a dollar and up a month, a month patrons. So basically to get the podcast at all, you just need to support us for a dollar a month and you get that and you get other perks as well, depending on the levels you go up. And so we're really excited about that. And I wanted to throw this out here. I have not told Chris this, but my plan for the first episode, which we'll record next week, is going to be a first party developer draft. Now, what I mean by that is the drafting in sports means that all these athletes are available and teams pick oh, okay. the player. It's kind of like picking, you know, recess at recess. If you pick your baseball team or your kickball team, yeah, right? Yeah. I want this guy. I want this guy. I want this guy. So what I'm going to do, Chris, is I'm going to write a list of the dozen or so developers that Sony owns and write up what they've done, where they come from, who they are, and be really thorough about it mm -hmm. in the beginning of the episode, explain it to everyone so maybe they can play along at home or they can play with friends. And then you and I 
We'll flip a coin to see who goes first and we will pick our teams, so to speak, and see who comes up or make an argument for who has the better first party studios. Right. Based on that. So maybe okay. you want Naughty Dog because of this, but maybe you want Sony San Diego for this or you want Sucker Punch for this. And you can't have probably Naughty Dog and Sony Santa Monica. You probably have to pick one. You probably yeah. won't be able to have Polyphony and Studio Japan or whatever. I think it'll be a really fun episode. <laughs> that sounds interesting. Yeah, I like it. And so that it's will like be fantasy the, football almost. Exactly. That's exactly right. So it'll be our first episode that will roll out on August 9th for our beloved patrons. And we appreciate your support. Now, real quick, a few other things to get into that aren't going to be covered in the news, Chris, but I wanted to touch on. There's this story going on about the Order 1886 getting a sequel as outed by Sucker Punch's writer, the one of the writers on Ghost of Tsushima named Jordan Michael Lemos, who apparently was on some podcast and said that the sequel is in development or whatever. But that's not what he said. And if you go read his Twitter account and read the actual verbatim quotes, that's not what he said. So in case people are curious why we're not covering that story, it's because it's not probably true. Although Ready at Dawn, a Santa Monica based company, we're recording in Santa Monica, did recently move studios and into a brand new building. Yeah. And I don't know where this money is coming from. As I tweeted out, the Order 1886 came out more than four years ago. They don't own it. So they probably got paid a flat fee for it. They made that game Deformers with Game Trust that probably sold 25 copies. And then they've made a bunch of Oculus games that I guess are pretty popular, but you can't possibly be making that much revenue on Oculus games. I just. I, yeah, yeah, I, I would be shocked by that. So I think that Ready at Dawn is partnering with someone on a neck on the next gen game. I don't know that it's Sony. I don't have any inside information, but something's going on. You with Ready at be, Dawn. It could be. 1880s. That could be an interesting launch title I don't, for PS5. It could be, but I, think, I just I think it could be one of those things. It's like, oh, look at that. Maybe it'll be good this time. I guess so. <laughs> With all of Sony's or a lot of Sony's big first party studios having gone recently or still haven't gone, it doesn't. It means that they're not going to be ready to go in the PS5 era for That's some true, time. Yeah. So Naughty Dog, Sucker Punch, even Sony Santa Monica are probably years out. I mean, two of those three studios haven't released their last PS4 game, so they're going to need to contract some second party studios. So certainly the environment is right for or for Ready at Dawn to come back in. But I just don't think that Sony needs a sequel to the Order 1886 as much as I think that that would be cool. I don't think you invest in that enough where they get a new studio and lots of space. Yeah, yeah. I think that someone like Activision or someone like that might be working with them. I don't think it's Oculus money. We'll see. Yeah, I think you're probably right. But I wanted to throw that out there because I know a lot of people are interested in that. The other thing that I wanted to bring up before we get into some inquiries from the audience, Chris, is that there's this other story going around, I think, from a smaller website that interviewed people associated with Naughty Dog. And some of the claims, this is another push to unionize story (laughs) with a lot of its stuff buried in it. QA QA or testers at Naughty Dog, I think one of them claimed that they were working 24 hour days. I tweeted out that I simply do not believe that. And I think that there needs to be more scrutiny placed on these particular stories that are claiming workplace abuse. And I think we need to start separating separating workplace abuse from working hard in an industry that requires hard work. So I'm not saying that nothing untoward went on at Naughty Dog. I'm simply saying that we're not interested in reporting on that story or like really relaying it in full because I think a lot of it's fucking bullshit. And I'm not saying that just because I like Naughty Dog and know people there. It's just the claims are outrageous. It's, it's, these are out. These are these. Yeah. Ra- these uh, we 20, had the 100, 100 hour 100 work week last year. Now we have the 24 hour work day. A 24 hour. I've been awake for 24 hours before. Obviously, Me too. I've, I've been awake for a very long time. Yeah, but. Uh, I, I I don't even that seems so implausible, like actually working for that amount of time seems like genuinely impossible. 
I just don't believe like it. working, working. I had some people tweet at me saying like, I work 24 hours. Or I work three, three day shifts basically on this program or in this thing I needed to do. And I'm like, I, I've been there. I've been, I was at IGN for 48 hours at a time sometimes too, but I was not working 24 hours a day when I was there. Yeah. It's like at E3, which is fucking horrifying for anyone in the press, I'd work 16 or 18 hours a day, but I wasn't even getting the yeah. 24. So I'm or, not it's like, or it's like Black Friday for like retail. I remember I worked a ton. Every Black Friday was like horrendous. But like it was never anything even approaching that amount of. It was insane. Still, it, it is insane. Which is that's what that's the thing. It's like twenty four hours is so insane, dude. It's, it's so just long. so wild. This is the argument that I made right about the hundred hour work week. Just thinking about a claim of a sixty or eighty hour work week, right? Which I think is much more plausible. And then think about mm, what yeah. you have to do to get to a hundred hours. That's yeah. a whole other day in the week basically like a full day to get to that so what i'm saying i guess is that maybe it's possible they work 16 or 18 hour days sometimes when they were leading up to launch especially in qa yeah i could see that but i just highly doubt sony or the third parties that they're working with would allow qa testers which are hourly employees by the way they get paid time and a half after i think 10 hours and double time after 14 or something like that they want these guys to stay 24 hours pay them out the ass for all of this stuff there would be timesheets that would by the way render this true or not so I simply wanted to throw it out there. We need to be more critical and not all this stuff bears repeating. Yet we just talked about it for three minutes. So, yeah, well, what can you do? Chris, let's consult with the audience, shall we? Okay. (laughs) As I always like to do. We should record this podcast for 24 hours one day and see if we could (laughs) see if we could do it. We should. We should. By the way, that when you said that we should record the podcast, I was like, oh, shit, that I forget to hit the record button. I actually looked down really quick. That scared me. Chris, as the audience knows, if you support us on patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand, one of the tiers there is your ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to our show. We put up a thread every Friday. I go through it during the weekend as I'm writing the show, and we pull out from there. By the ooh, pull out. That didn't uh, that was a little sexual. I didn't mean it that way. Oof. Now, I will say that when we do the Sacred Symbols Plus episodes, some of those will also have accompanying threads. So make sure to differentiate between those if you're a supporter. We appreciate you over on Patreon. Aaron Davidson wrote into us. He said, hey, CNC, I have one simple question for you. Now, this actually gave me a little bit of pause. At first, I was like, this is the stupidest fucking thing (laughs) I've ever heard in my life. But then, Aaron, you threw me for a loop. He says, do crabs think fish are flying? Love the show. Keep up the great work, gentlemen. I've had this conversation with my roommate before. I think on Twitter. Because crabs, I don't think... They can't like jump and and like gain some no, buoyancy, no, no. right? So they're on the ground. They're more like people on the moon, I guess, mm. where they they because water is obviously you know it's water, right? So they could probably like get up for a little bit, right? And then before they come back down, I was talking to my roommate about this like a like a a couple weeks ago, like maybe a month or two ago, we were talking about this and like yeah, from a a, a crab's perspective, which is a ground animal in water, basically they don't right. swim really unless right. they get like drafted by some rogue stream. From their perspective, the fish are flying. So God knows what the hell they think, what a fish thinks right. of do, like a bird. They're probably like, what? I don't even understand. Do crabs have gills? No, crabs breathe air, right? They don't breathe. Crabs are, well, this is my problem with the ocean. Everything in the ocean is just Lovecraftian and horrifying. Yeah. Like everything about it is. I agree. When you look at H.P. Lovecraft and everything that he wrote, it, none of it's like fake. It's just all stuff in the ocean. Like Cthulhu is literally just a squid. A squid, a that giant somebody squid. somebody was really afraid of. It's kind of wild that. There were hundreds of years worth of these wives tales from brigands and pirates and all in sailors of these massive sea creatures that they would encounter. And I don't think it was until a hundred or so years ago that the giant squid, maybe even sooner 
than that was actually like found and everyone's yeah. like oh these motherfuckers weren't these crazy drunk sailors in the 1600 in the age of discovery weren't lying they might have actually encountered <laughs> these gigantic hulking sea beasts yeah it's gross man it's disgusting by the way that picture i don't know what it was but you tweeted out a picture oh yeah the, it's a, the video of the worm that eats with a with with white vein tendril looking things. The fuck, man. I don't know. Everything in the ocean is like every time I see something Ugh. new that comes out of the ocean, the more pro pollution I get. Like yeah. for real. Yeah. Like it's starting to get to the point. It's like let's use as many plastic straws as possible to quell whatever the hell that is and whatever it could evolve into. It's like that asteroid that almost hit Earth a couple weeks ago, right? Did you see anything like that? No. There was an asteroid that got really close to Earth, like scarily close in between <sighs> the Earth and the moon. Damn. And NASA, it wasn't on NASA's charts. NASA claims that it has a pretty thorough chart of near-Earth asteroids and objects, and this one wasn't on it, and it got close. And Damn. I was like, ah, oh, we were so close. I know, right? Damn it. To Someday. just being released. Someday. From this <laughs> fucking agony. <laughs> All right, let's jump into some more more serious things. Jake Whitaker wrote in and said, howdy, boys. I just finished watching your Titanfall 2 gameplay. He's talking about our Let's Play we put oh, up. Yeah. And I must say that I'm astounded you stopped when you were mere seconds from getting the trophy. When will we see this completed? Is Chris up for the challenge? Listen, I was not mere seconds away. Like, I've, I've done a lot of research on this. I've done some practice rounds uh, on my own time. And it is a whole different ballgame. Like, the Source Engine, which is what Titanfall 2 runs on, has a very interesting way of propelling a player character through an environment at like high speeds. I'm sure some of you, maybe a few of you have seen some videos on, on YouTube of like counter-strike uh, surfing where characters are just flying through on like diagonal walls. It's really tricky. Um, I was definitely not close, <laughs> especially after knowing what I know now about it, but I'm definitely down for it for the challenge. I just got to, I don't want to do it until I have a pretty solid understanding of that engine i'm looking forward to it. yeah you had told me and i was surprised by this i guess maybe i inherently knew this back in the day but i guess i i, I didn't take it with me or maybe i never knew you were saying that it runs on source which is a valve engine mm -hmm, yeah and i always assumed it was a frostbite game simply because respawn is in the ea family so it does actually from that perspective require a little bit of just different skills uh, and, and more fluidity yeah. the engine just works really weird like it works it it works the way counter-strike works and if you know the way counter-strike works it's it's quick I wonder if, well, I assume that maybe they already talked about it, but the Jedi Last Order game that they're making now respawn, that must be on Frostbite. I, I believe assume. it's on Frostbite. Yeah. So I'd be shocked if that was on source. I will say, although by the time people hear this, the vote will almost be over that the Let's Play vote that we do every month on Patreon is going and Titanfall 2 Redux is winning mm -hmm. by a mile. So we're going to go back, but let's give Chris we, a little bit of time. We will do it, uh, but that's that's a practice one. That's a heavy practice. For now, you can go look at our most recent Let's Play, which is for Crash Team Racing yeah. on YouTube.com slash Collins Last Stand Side Quest. I say the word insane 50 times in it. In <laughs> Did you watch it? <laughs> yeah, well, I just knew when I was recording it just because I, I was on autopilot trying to play well and talk. It's really it's difficult. Hard. It's very hard to do. People yeah. really overestimate the difficulty some things require in our lives, right? And then they really underestimate some other things. And I think talking while playing video games is incredibly difficult. I mean, just think about if your spouse comes in, they want to talk to you. Like, it happens to me all the time. Aaron's talking to me. I'm like, I can't really pay attention to what you're saying. So, yeah, yeah it's harder. Just like podcasting, it's way harder than you think. Yeah. Way harder I, than you think. I remember when I was doing the live stream for the trophy, they were just like, long periods of silence because I was like listen I have to focus <laughs> like that's a focus heavy game too it's why I think I like doing let's plays by myself sometimes but I think it's important to have a co-pilot often as well so someone can talk yeah no for sure Anthony Gigi wrote in us on Patreon. He says, hello, gents. So GTA 5 just said fuck it and put an actual casino in game where you can use real world money to buy chips. 
Why are people upset over this? How is this different from any other microtransaction? Is it being used maliciously to prey on gambling addicts? Are people overreacting since gambling in games is a sensitive issue as of late? Would like to hear your thoughts on the matter. Hope all is well and that the weather isn't too hot. It's getting hotter, actually. Yeah. Uh, Indian summer setting in. Yeah, for sure. I th- <laughs> this is like really tug on Superman's cape style like really like you're really you're really prodding <laughs> to, to just throw a casino so that because it's a real casino you put real money in so that you, so that you can win fake money that you can't spend outside of the game it's, it's like funny. gambling with gift cards yeah it's in, it's such a weird i mean hey man anybody who's insane enough to do this go ahead and bleed yourself but like my god you should have some kind of foresight. I think that people are mad about it, Chris, to Anthony's point, because a lot of people are just mad at microtransactions and kind of these new modes. In general, and yeah. I actually appreciate the overt nature of what Rockstar did here. Like you said, it's really there's blatant. no facade over this. It, it, it's a it's a casino mm-hmm. where you gamble. I mean, that's what it's Vegas. And yeah. so I appreciate the for, the forthrightness of it in a way where it's like, OK, I mean, you can accuse us of gambling, but this is literally gambling. So you're a fucking idiot. Yeah. At this point, if you go into this and then complain on the back end. Now, is it taking advantage of of gambling addicts and stuff? I just do not buy this line of thinking. Gambling addicts have to circumnavigate the world and I guess navigate around the world in a way that's that alcoholics have to navigate the world. That doesn't mean you don't we don't go to restaurants and, and have dry restaurants. Maybe there's some exist because an alcoholic might come eat there. It's the, the alcoholic's yeah, yeah. problem, ultimately. No offense. No, yeah, and so it's the gambling addict's problem if they're not able to like be on a video game console without spending money and gambling. Like I just again, I know we've talked about this kind of ad nauseum at this point, but I just don't buy any angle of this that doesn't require or stress the personal responsibility angle. It, it just mm, yeah. is what it is, dude. I, again, I am a gambler. I like gambling. I go to Vegas multiple times a year. I gamble on sports, etc. I don't get out of control. In fact, I do it kind of for fun and I don't spend a lot of money at all because I have control. And if you don't, then don't put for yourself sure, yeah. in situations like that. Yeah, I think my issue is less about personal responsibility and more about just like, I just feel like it just makes the product worse. And I hate that. That's really it. I don't give a shit about people. <laughs> no, that's fair enough. <laughs> So Chris, callous. It's, fi- it's fine. It's not a big deal. You know, you got to be honest with the audience. And that's what we're being right now. Yeah. Save your money. Don't be crazy. Get an education up to a degree. You don't need to go to college. Work hard. Ah, some, some, uh, 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 sometimes you do. Sometimes you do. If you're a doctor. Go to college, please. Nobody well, wants like a, a self-taught. Do- I, I learned by ear. I'm of the yeah. I learned, I learned how to be a doctor by ear, <laughs> based on the screams yeah. of the various people. Chris, by the way, last week we talked about trophies changing. We talked about Rainbow Six Siege's trophies changing, and I I inquired with the audience, Chris, could they come up with any other examples? Because I couldn't think of it, and and not surprisingly, our very nerdy audience did come up with some examples. Space Dog wrote into us, and by the way, he types his name S P V C E D A W G, so very Roman. Mm-hmm. Very Roman. He says, hey, CNC, first time, long time. In regards to your recent Rainbow Six Siege trophy conversation, I wanted to chime in with another major game that did it as well. Destiny 2. They have changed some of the late game trophies to have different requirements. As an example, I have the gold trophy for beating the raid on prestige difficulty, something I've never even attempted because before the change, it was simply complete a prestige strike mission, which pales in difficulty in comparison to the huh. prestige raid. Thank you for all you do. Keep Tuesdays great. Weird. Yeah, I guess I just don't pay attention to the achievements on Destiny. So that's one. That makes sense. One yeah. example. Live service. Another live service, by the way. Indeed. That These seems are, to be the trend. It's actually, like 
all the games that we're going to talk about here are live service games. Yeah, that makes sense. Moise Khan wrote it and said, hey, Colin and Chris, on last week's episode, you asked for cases where a game's trophy requirements were changed post-release. The biggest example of this that I know is Overwatch. Each hero in Overwatch has specific trophies tied to them that require players to perform challenges based on their powers and abilities. However, many of these heroes have been changed a lot, and some have had their powers changed so drastically that the original trophy for them would just be unachievable. Blizzard would patch these trophies so the requirement would match their updated powers. If you had earned a certain character trophy, though, you kept it, even if the requirements changed. So that's not a huge surprise. Again, the list of trophies and their values, I don't I don't think can change. I think literally all they can change are the triggers and the text. So and obviously the name of them. Yeah. So I just didn't know this was happening so much, but it happened in an even more recent game. Chris. Yeah. John O'Peck wrote into us and said on the topic of changing trophy requirements, Ubisoft has done this before to a far smaller degree with massive entertainment. I platinum the division two earlier this year and was preparing for a particularly tough trophy when I noticed the name and description had changed. Originally, you needed to extract some amount of loot in the dark zone during a blackout. Given the amount of variables involved to make this happen, I imagine Ubisoft decided to make it a lot simpler, and thankfully, I didn't have to grind for the original trophy requirement. I thought this was bizarre back in March, but the seed changes are next level. I agree. The siege ones are totally different. Yeah. Like they've changed a lot of trophies, but it seems that it's not only possible, but it's happening. As Chris said, games as a service are adapting. So, yeah, I mean, that makes a ton of sense. Thank like you for writing changes. Then yeah. I guess trophies would change, too, I suppose, because there are trophies. There are plenty of trophies, especially on PS3 that are unattainable because systems are shut down. Like you can't get the mag trophies anymore, for instance, because yeah, the game yeah. doesn't work. So I don't think they're going to change that stuff. But I like that they're t paying attention to that. And by the way, Chris, this really does feed the narrative that I've been pushing, that more people care about trophies than you think. And I hate when people dismiss, you know, oh, no one cares about this. This is a subsection of people. I'm like, I'm not so sure. They're literally going through changes that have to be certified and go through QA just to correct their trophy list in these games. You would assume that that wouldn't be important at all, yeah. especially with games as a service. So. I encourage people to think again if they think that trophies and achievements aren't as important as I think they are. It's probably somewhere in the middle. Not as important as I think and not as unimportant as a lot of you think. Yeah, I think you're probably right on that. Chris, let's talk about what we're playing. It says here you're playing Witcher 3. Still, Still yeah. I've, I mean, obviously, it. I've been in New York for like right. the last week. Uh, so I, I, it was really just like that Monday night <laughs> that I was playing through it again. It fe I don't know, man. It, it, it feels old. I bumped it down to like the lowest difficulty because I just don't care about the the combat of it. And from what I... I remember I tweeted out on Twitter, I was like, is it weird if I play this on, like, just completely easy because I just don't like the combat at all? And everybody unanimously was like, it's not good. <laughs> the combat's not good. Which is like, what? Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, the combat is, I recall, I tried to play it on, on hard or very hard, whatever it was, and I was getting my ass kicked. And I knew how big the game was, so I was like, I'm not going to do this to myself. So I, I bumped it down to normal. But I remember the combat took me a little time, as I recall, to get used to yeah. in the game. It just, I don't know, man. I, I feel like from a gameplay perspective, I, I'm i really interested in the story. I'm hooked on it. Like, I want to know what happens, but just the, the fighting is just, it feels, something about it feels delayed. And it's not input lag, and it's, it's, it's not anything like that, but there's something about it that feels a lot less fluid than a lot of stuff that I've played since, which I guess makes sense because it is an older game. But, I don't know. I'm excited to go through it, but I feel like it's going to be a lot more manageable now that I've, I've bumped it down. Yeah, you can get to the pieces yeah. of the game the story that are important is the, part, is the part of the game that shines anyway yeah so i figure I ah, i'm not gonna bust my ass on on the difficulty of this and you, your map is just one big question mark right just yeah. like mine was it's just really fucking fantastic when you go to a question mark in the game and then it spawns six more question marks that doesn't have that doesn't do anything bad to people with ocd at all i was like actually <laughs> like screaming into a pillow at some point playing the game because it was doing that to me but i'm glad you're enjoying it it is a game that i need to get back to i can't believe how how much of it i played i do this again i've said this last week i think i do this all the time 
time. I get to the end of a game and then I'm like, ah, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm just, I don't want to beat it. Would you put like 40 hours in? Oh, yeah. At it's least. Insane. At least. I, I went to MomoCon in Atlanta that year in 2015 and I brought my PS4 with me so I can play it in the hotel room. So, <laughs> you know, I'm a real winner. Now, Chris, I was playing Wolfenstein Youngblood, which I want to talk about in a moment. But the first game I want to talk about is Se- about a Sekiro because right. this is a game that I actually started this week. And I was looking forward to it and I do not like it. Really? And this has been a really <laughs> contentious thing because I talked about it on online. I was yeah. like, well, I'm, I'm getting into it. I need to see it more, I think. And then I started to play it. I, I only played for a couple hours, a few hours, probably. Mm-hmm. I kept dying over and over again. And I just I really hit the, the roadblock where I'm like, this isn't fun. Now, to me, yeah. to me, yeah, I that understand that a lot of people love this game. So it's not an insult on the people who like you mm-hmm. who love it. Yeah, yeah. I just I think what I didn't like about it was that it merges this very arcadey and kinetic gameplay feeling right that it doesn't feel like a from software game i was comparing it to it feels like an old team ninja game in a way the way it moves around it feels like ninja guy in a sense but it doesn't play like that so there's almost a betrayal of your mind where you have to re-engineer your mind to be like you move fast it feels like devil may cry or something you want to go in and slash slash and 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 you just can't do it and i couldn't override this need to play the game like that i just couldn't i'm like it feels too quick to play it so deliberately and I, so I think for me, it created this real conundrum where I'm like, I just don't want to play this game the way it's asking me to play it. If right. it wanted me to, if it wanted me to play the game like this, why is it making it feel so good? You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's, that's, I think that's the drive for it though. I think for me it was like, this feels so good. Imagine if I could actually, imagine if I could get to the point where I could just go in and slash these guys, just clean house. And you get to a point where you just can do that. Like the first, like area of the of the of the game you can just mow through and it becomes it's a weird game where it starts off as like a really challenging like really frustrating punishing experience and then slowly as you go through it everything before becomes this arcade wonderland where you could just have a blast it's uh, so i could see why there's a, a bit of a disconnect but i think that's exactly why i, I gravitated to it so heavily it was challenging but it rewarded you by just making everything that you had gone through just so much more fun to just kind of play around with. I will say this to your credit. When the game came out and we were playing it, I kept refer- I kept saying, I don't want to play another Souls game. And you kept telling me it's not a Souls game. And I was like, it's clearly a Souls game, right? Well, it's, it's obviously not. I mean, yeah. now that I've played it and really sat with it, you were absolutely right. It's yeah. not a Souls game. I know a lot of people were getting mad about that with me. So I wanted to acknowledge <laughs> that. What I said on Twitter was this, and I think you'll follow this. I think other people will follow this. Sekiro is to From Software what Neo is to Team Ninja. In other words, Team Ninja made a Souls game. They're used to making Sekiro games, Ninja Gaiden like games. Right. From Software made a Ninja Gaiden game, even though they're known for Souls games. So it seems like it was kind of a switcheroo. It does, yeah. In some strange way. And all because of the setting of it this Tenchu like Japanese setting. The only thing that I wanted to do while I was playing, I'm like, I just want to go back and play Neo because here's the major thing that I wanted to to bring up about Sekiro. It doesn't give you enough power over how strong your character is. So I just felt like there was no way for me to get better unless I was getting mechanically better. And clearly I just wasn't syncing with the game. Like I just, I was reaching these, I guess minor boss enemies like these human. First of all, why is everyone bald in the game? Every every samurai is bald. <laughs> is that, I know that they tie their hair back, but everyone has a receding hairline in the game. But afar, apart from that, I'd reach these guys with like two or three orbs next to their name, like generals or whatever. And I was just having like a really difficult time. Like, I just don't understand 
what I'm supposed to do. It's mechanically hard. It's mechanically intensive, for sure. So it's I walked away. That I'm makes out. sense. I'm out. That's fair. I, I, I love it, but yeah. Ryan Lemieux wrote in, said, hey, guys, I, I was actually glad to hear that Colin gave up on Sekiro because I had to as well. I'm not the most talented gamer in the world, but I usually play on hard mode for most games, and this game just infuriated me to no end. Apparently, it wasn't enough to brutally kill me over and over again, so the game actually had to punish me more by slowly infecting all the characters around me, thus constantly reminding me how much I suck. I'm convinced that From Software actually hates all gamers, and the Get Good crowd just has a case of Stockholm Syndrome. This brings me to my question. Am I being a baby? Love all the shows, and thank you for keeping Tuesdays great. I don't know that he's being a baby, nah, but I, drive with you. I was surprised, though, Chris, that a lot of people don't seem to like this game. This actually seems to be the most divisive of from software games recently in the in the kind of the from era. Obviously, they've been making games for 25 years. Yeah. What do you think of that? Is Has that always been true in your in your mind? Because I guess I was just seeing so much positivity about this game that I didn't realize that when I said something about it, that many of the comments I was receiving back were like, yeah, it's. I'm a big Souls fan and I couldn't stand it or I just don't like it. It's because it's not a Souls game. Exactly. But the one thing that people did say, was, and, and it's to your point, is that the game gets easier if you just get through that opening segment of the game. And I, I just, I don't know if that's true, but that's what people were saying. It, and I, it gets easier in the sense that you've spent some time with it so you know how to play and you've kind of understood the basic rhythm of combat. But it, it doesn't literally get easy. I think that's just like, it gets easier in the way that a game would get easy. Like, you know, it's just... You've spent time with it. I right. think it literally actually is designed in a way that makes it easier as you go along. I will say that I'm a little disappointed just in the sense that this was one of two games with Metro Exodus being the other that came out this year that I was kind of stashing away for a rainy mm. day. Right. And I was like, well, I'm definitely going to like Sekiro. So I'll get yeah. and then I finally got to it and I sat down. I, 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 so it, it was disappointed from that sense. But I will say it just reminds you that you really got to parse through even the criticism, even our words and the words of other podcasters and, and, and experts that you like to see what works for you. And I would have easily spent $60 on Sekiro. And I think I did, actually. I don't know if Activision gave it to me or not. Mm. And I, I, I bought it like a while ago. It was in my download list. So I don't know where I got it from. But I would have spent $60 on it and been pretty disappointed. So it's, it's just a reminder that you got to yeah. calibrate your own tastes with the very specific people that share your tastes and and go from there. But I wanted to acknowledge that I did play it. It's just not for me. I got to get, get back into it. I haven't finished it. Well, now you're going to have to play the whole thing again, probably. Yeah, probably. Chris, the other game that I'm playing is Wolfenstein Youngblood. Yeah, how's how's that? I've so, seen some uh, interesting commentary about it. I'm really torn on it. So I reached out last week several times to Bethesda. They never sent us the game. They just ignored us. Not a huge surprise, I guess. So I went and bought it. The I was glad that this happened. The reason I bring that up is because I was glad that this happened because I assumed, and I don't know why I assumed that this would be a 50 or $60 game. It's a $30 game. So I think you first have to look at it through that lens. It's a $30 game. For sure. And I really have had an up and down experience with it from I really like the gameplay. I think that people are being really hard on it from a certain perspective. People are calling it a looter shooter. First of all, it's definitely not. Everyone's using that term way too much. There's n there's no loot in the game. So there's not oh, it's not a looter yeah, shooter. I heard that too and I was like it's I nonsense. haven't seen anything. That's I don't I don't think people understand this is why we need to be really specific with terms. It's not a looter shooter. There's no loot. You're not getting better guns and shit like that. You are literally upgrading your guns with money you find just like lots of other games. So it's it's not a looter shooter at all, but it doesn't feel like a Wolfenstein game in a lot of ways. Now, some of this is really cool. It takes place in 1980 in France. This is an, an atmosphere and an environment we've not seen before. The Nazis are somewhat on the rope the ropes. They're dealing with like an inner leadership crisis, which is kind of cool. So there's like an up upstart general that's like kind of taking power. Mm -hmm. You only learn about this really through documents that you find. 
and you play as BJ Blasovitz's twin daughters, as we know, Jess and Soph, in their, I think, late teens or early 20s. And they go to France to kind of discover what happened to their dad, who in Wolfenstein lore is called Terror Billy. Yeah. And in the 60s, he obviously went crazy and killed a bunch of people. And so they have this all this lore about him and where he came from, where he went, where he came from and all this stuff. So I like it, but it, I don't understand why they doubled down on some of the worst features of Wolfenstein 2, specifically the hub world. The Wolfenstein 2's hub world sucks. It was on the uh, submarine, I think, or a ship, oh, yeah, as I people like remember. Any, any time a game that didn't previously have a hub world throws in a hub world, it's always so terrible. It's bad. They did this with Splinter Cell, too, and like Blacklist or whatever. They put a hub world, and it's like, why'd you do this? I just want to play. Right. It's like, the, it's like the Croft Mansion, but you need to be there all the time. So it's like not optional. And yeah, it's just fucking annoying. I just hate the hub worlds in these games, and I don't understand why as far as i remember like wolfenstein 2 was derided for its hub world so they anyway they doubled down on this so this is one negative feature but the characters are really interesting lots of female characters which i think is pretty cool and the major complaint that people seem to have about it is that it's like this kind of repetitive grindy game and i hear that but at the same time wolfenstein has been doing stuff like this for a while and i'm wondering if people just haven't been playing Wolfenstein games and maybe they haven't, but machine games started the whole go to a map, try to beat it in a certain amount of time, yeah. try to get a good score, whatever it is. They started that like on old blood, I think like in 2016, this isn't a new thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that the whole game is this. I don't like repetitive as a criticism because I just feel like every game is by definition repetitive. And the only thing what you're saying is when you say a game is repetitive is that the game isn't fun enough to distract you from that fact. Yeah, that's a, that's a, I mean, you're right. The mechanics in a lot of games are inherently repetitive. Yeah. So, I mean, if you play the original Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers, which is a classic, I mean, it's very repetitive. It's just really fun. And so I, I agree with you. That's not a that's not really a valuable critique to me. But I did write down some notes because I didn't want to forget. I wanted to be a little more thorough. So I like games just like Doom that are health, health and armor based. I, I, yeah. I don't no, like regenerative too. I love it. And so I really dig that. And the game gives you so many things to pick up, like armor and, and gold and whatever. There's this real sense of like you're hearing like like clicking noises as you're picking everything up and running around. There's something very satisfying about yeah, it. You're yeah. building your characters up. There's an up, a nice upgrade system. It's a little overbearing sometimes. But I don't understand why the hub world came back. And, and even though the game is co-op centered... You can play it by yourself with a co-op AI partner. Oh, and did that, you have to have an AI with you? Yeah. Oh. And it's annoying because she's fine. She does what she, it's kind of like Ellie in The Last of Us where she's not going to be seen by enemies unless you make yourself seen. So she's not going to like give you away. But it did distract the shit out of me several times where I'm slinking through and then I see this character run past. And I'm like, oh, shit. And I like start shooting. and It's her. And then it gives my my shit away. And I'm like, I'd rather just be alone. I don't understand why yeah. I have to be with you here. So there's little kind of things like that. But I think the major complaints from people ring hollow with me because Wolfenstein 2, the old blood and stuff all had these repetitive missions that you would do over and over again in adjacent or adjacent rather to the main storyline. Now we just don't get that story. Instead we get these kind of worlds, these various places in Berlin and whatever that we yeah. go to over and over again to do different things. I understand that that is inherently repetitive, but I just think the game is actually overridingly fun. If anything, mm -hmm. it's just too... It's just too dense with nonsense. Instead of a hub world, for instance, why couldn't we just get missions from fucking lists, right? It doesn't really change the nature of the game. We're playing the game because it's fun. We're not really playing the game for these various characters. You can show us in cutscenes if yeah. you want. But why do I need to go back to this underworld, the under underground, you know, setting, go find this person, talk to them and go back to where I need. It's just annoying. So, mm -hmm. yeah, 
that's my major complaint with the game. But I think it's fun. And I think at $30, it's somewhat reasonably priced. So I think that the Metacritic score is a little off on this one. I think it's a little better than people think it is, but it's frustrating for sure. How's so. the difficulty? Because like I remember like that was kind of an issue with me. The difficulty feels ones. much better. Yeah. Wolfenstein 2 was hard as shit. I mean, that game was like unfun hard. Dude, people. So I think people know that to beat the game on the hardest difficulty level, you need to not die. And that's the only way you can get the gold trophy. So you're playing on the hardest difficulty level and you're not dying. And there are videos of people doing it and they're insane. I mean, these videos are so tense because you can literally die 10 out. You can't stop the game, by the way. You can't spoof it. So you can't like send a save to the cloud. You have to do it in one sitting and you can't die and you can die at the very end and you just lose. Yeah, it's it's much more balanced. And I will say this too: machine games didn't make this game by themselves. Arcane made this game as well. And so I think mm. that there's a little bit of dishonored in this game. Oh, that's cool. And Arcane's a French studio, so they have a little bit of insight into the French setting and stuff, which I think is neat. There's a lot of French text and a lot of French speaking going on in the game. So they they bring a little bit of authenticity there, I imagine. But this just only gives me hope that maybe this is an id avalanche situation where machine games really didn't make this game at all. And mm-hmm. they just produced it and they're working on the real Wolfenstein sequel, which I hope they are. And it's more robust than this. Let's say that. All right. That sounds pretty. All right. I think I'll probably check it out. Caleb Hager wrote into us, Chris. He said, greetings, gents. How much did Wolfenstein Youngblood catch you by surprise? I had no idea that it was releasing so early and that it was a looter shooter. It's not a looter shooter. I was under the impression that it was just a standard machine games Wolfenstein game with co-op. Did Bethesda drop the ball with marketing this game? And what are your impressions on the way machine went about or went with the game? So, again, I don't think machine games really went anywhere with it. I, I would imagine Arcane drove the ship. But the game did kind of come out of nowhere. Yeah, I kind of forgot entirely that it was coming out. And it came out aside Cyberpilot, the PSVR game which is supposed to be not as good as Youngblood. You can take that for what it's worth. I haven't played it yet, but it did sneak up on me a little bit. The bigger surprise I had, though, was QuakeCon was this past weekend, and they released Doom, Doom 2, and Doom 3 on on PS4, Switch, and Xbox One. That was confusing to me because I'm like, why would you do that? What, what, why are you releasing these? Why are you releasing two Wolfenstein games and three Doom ports in one week? the fuck are you doing really weird this is this is the stuff that really annoys me really weird move. if you wanted to have this big pop of the dune games at QuakeCon, then just delay wolfenstein you can't or release all this stuff at the same time it's just weird. release all those doom games with eternal because there's no way it's gonna, like obviously anybody interested in doom is gonna get eternal anyway like they're not gonna be like oh whoa doom doom three whoa i'm gonna buy that in place of, of eternal it's very weird i just didn't understand the timing of that very strange. If they only did it on Switch, I would have made that would have made a little more sense to me. But I think yeah. Youngblood might even be. Yeah, awesome. I think that makes sense. It's it's weird too because it's already playable on. Somebody was like, "Oh, did you get the new Doom? The like all the old Doom games are on Xbox One now." And I was like, "They were already there because they've been backwards compatible since the system launch." Yeah, there. I think now that I think it's because I have because th- I have the 360 arcade versions right. still on my console. So. Yeah, I have Doom and Wolfenstein 3D on PS3. Yeah. I would like them to re-release Wolfenstein 3D with Platinum Trophy. That would be fun. Yeah. Jeremy Miller wrote in and said, hey, CNC, I'll be blunt. What is going on with Bethesda? I just beat both Youngblood and Cyberpilot and was very underwhelmed with both games. What do you think is the cause for their weird business practices lately? Is it a bad sign for future games? Chris, what do you think of what's happening with Bethesda? I think he really has an interesting point here in that we're talking about Fallout 76. We're talking about Rage 2. We're talking about... Wolfenstein Youngblood and the Cyberpilot game and the Doom re-releases. It's a kind of a soft time for Bethesda as a publisher. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I don't know. It's just such a weird environment that they're in because they seem to be making every wrong move. 
<laughs> and it, like, I don't know who the hell is steering the ship, really. It uh, feels insane. They keep, this is what I keep saying about reacting to market trends and, and, and how games take so long that by the time you react to them, they come to market and they're stale. Fallout 76 is a clear example of that. They should have just never made that game. But actually, like Wolfenstein <laughs> is an example of that, too, because with their co-op centric kind of thing in the hub world and the replayable missions and kind of the grind that goes on with upgrading your weapons. It's not a looter shooter by any stretch of the imagination, but it takes that spirit of replayability and kind of injects it in Wolfenstein. And I understand why people are upset about that, because Wolfenstein is a traditionally a linear yeah. or semi-linear single player first person shooter with these options of replaying maps and doing time trials and stuff as an aside. So Bethesda and Rage 2 is another like I don't even know what Rage 2 really is. The more I think about that game, the more I'm like, I don't know what the fuck this is really like I, I understand it's an open world shooter but why is this game why was this made you know yeah. and so I think Bethesda is in a strange kind of period right now and, and I'm certainly not impressed with their overall offerings the way I was impressed from the you know whether you like these games or not but the Skyrim Dishonored Fallout maybe not Fallout 4 but you know that kind of era in there with Wolfenstein they, they were like really coming up and like around when they had their first E3 press conference. And now I feel like they're kind of in stasis and need some help. To be yeah, perfectly honest. it's weird. I, I feel like it, a lot of things, a lot of it's writing. A lot is writing on Doom Eternal. I feel like that's the, the last really <laughs> the last hope that they have. And what Starfield? Yeah, but that's a ways away anyway. An Elder like, Scrolls. This year six. it's like, yeah, Elder, yeah, this year it all rides on Doom. Yep. We'll see what happens. We'll see. I hope it's good. There is going to be a lot to say, though, about Bethesda, I think, in the coming uh, months. Yeah, for sure. We'll see how it all goes. Now, Chris, let's get into the news. Sure. There's a few things to get through this week that are of interest, I think, to the audience. Number one, PlayStation 4's 7.0 firmware update is right around the corner. Something confirmed by the dispatch of the firmware beta invites to select PS4 users. PS4's 7.0 update is due to bring a notable addition to the console's capabilities, allowing this allowing for 16 participants in a PSN party up from the current eight. You'll recall that Sony promised preview access to these features a couple of months ago, and so the rollout of these updates for all is likely imminent. Nonetheless, the updated beta form is currently liberally available, with each person's code usable 20 times. This is obviously to facilitate the use of the new party features in all their full-fledged glory. It's unclear if Firmware 7.0 will come packing any other notable features. Justin Chavaria wrote into us and said, hey, Colin and Chris, PS4 firmware 7.0 is coming soon with this possibility with this possibly being one of the last major firmware updates to add new features. What features would you like to see added to PS4 through firmware updates before PS5 launches? Personally, I would like to see something as simple as getting gift as game gifting so I can buy games for my nephews who live 500 miles away or for friends. If I want a great co-op experience, keep making Tuesdays great. Is there anything that PS4 or Sony could do to PS4 that you'd want to see in a major update before PS5 rolls out about 18 months from now? A little less than that. Ah, man. I feel like just making the UI a little bit less horrendous. Would what, be nice. what, what do you not like about the it's UI? It's just slow. And it, you, I mean, we've talked about the PS, the PlayStation Store just not working. Right. And just like things taking forever to just show up. And just like ads all over the place. I don't, I don't like that. I don't like how they keep putting PlayStation Now in my bar that I yeah. have to delete. That's annoying as shit. I think they did that with like World yeah. Cup stuff for PS View. I'd be happy just with like a general like performance under the hood kind of deal. No. I don't know. I can't think of any feature that I want aside from just maybe it getting out of my way a little bit. <laughs> a yeah, little more. that would be it would be nice to not have to 
circumvent the system all the time maybe, to make it or maybe automatic cloud savings actually working maybe yeah it doesn't seem to be working for you we we realized that a couple weeks ago with a save that we needed so yeah some things don't work right and it's it's such a quantum leap from ps3 that it's hard for me to complain like, ps3 was so bad when yeah. you really look back at it like so unusable and so unwieldy. I, I thought it immediately <laughs> I, I just to be honest i just couldn't get over like we were that was a case of stockholm syndrome in a sense just because maybe not stockholm syndrome but we just didn't know any better a lot of us well, you so. had no choice really if right. you wanted to play playstation games you just had to deal with it i remember being confused by it because it was the same cross media bar that the psp had and i remember feeling kind of underwhelmed by that because i you know new hardware comes out you hope it's the experience of using it is something that you haven't experienced before. Right. But it was literally just a giant PSP. I think that they tried to unify the experiences because I think they were doing it on Bravia TVs for a while, too, to try to yeah. make them all look the same. But I don't I think you've got to do what works best for your specific consumer set. For sure. And so with PS4, I'm most frustrated by just the Internet connectivity issues. And, and it's frustrating to me when people are like, I've never had a problem. And you, it's like, dude, lots of people have lots of problems with getting their PS4 to stay stably online to yeah. where you have to trick it all the time. The major trick you have to do is people inform me was just test the Internet connection. And that makes it work again for a little while. And then you can go into the store and stuff. That's a, that's unacceptable. So I agree with Chris under the hood kind of fixes and tweaks. I think would be best for the for the product. And I think you have to save your big stuff for PS5. And I'm really excited to see what functionality I don't even I don't even know I need. That's yet the thing. It's like coming, a lot of you know? a lot of the new stuff is going to be stuff that we didn't realize that we wanted, or at least I hope. Maybe nothing. Maybe it'll just be literally the same thing but stronger, and then like it'll probably be it. They're going to cancel the uh, PS5. Yeah. You can host the best backyard barbecue when you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Here's an interesting one for you, Chris. Okay. Number two, Sony-owned developer Media Molecule is hiring for an interesting job. It wants small dev teams to apply to make games and experiences within Media Molecule's newest game, Dreams. On its website, the job listing states, quote, some of the exciting opportunities we have require the skills of a small professional development team. Are you a small dev team looking to collaborate on something larger or looking for a small project to help fund your next gig? This isn't just normal outsourcing. It is much more about finding teams that want to collaborate with us on content for dreams. We are a little light on requirements as this is an exploratory call out. But needless to say, experience with creating in dreams is required, end quote. The listing goes on to stress the importance of seeing what devs are capable of, even floating the idea of seeing portfolios made in dreams. It also stresses the need for applicants to be collaborative, which isn't necessarily a common trait in some corners of development. It appears that the positions granted will be working out of Media Molecule's UK-based offices, though it does promise for a flexible work situation. So maybe if you're a foreign dev, yeah. you'll be able to do that as well. What do you make of this, uh, of Media Molecule literally hiring people to make dreams content internally? So it's not like they're contracting people. They're going to work in yeah. the Guilford studio where Media Molecule lives. So what do you think? Confusing. Like, this is so confusing to me. You're, so you're, they're, they're basically hiring people to play their game. Yeah. Is what it is. It's bad. I, don't think you can, I don't think you can interpret this as anything but really bad news yeah. for the game. Yeah. I, don't, I know that we are, and I don't mean to be overly negative about dreams, but I'll say what I've been saying, Chris. If the best you can do with this thing is say, like, look, I made X-Wing versus TIE Fighter in Dreams. Yeah. Look, I made this in Dreams. I made Mario Maker in Dreams. Like, who cares? 
At some point, you have to have products that people want to go in and play. I really do think Dreams is dead in the water. Like, I, I don't, I just don't think that they're going to make this thing work. And I hope I'm wrong because Media Molecule has been working on this thing for so long. But if the tools are not compelling enough in early access, quote unquote, which you have to pay $30 to get, then you have to literally go and hire development teams to make stuff for you guys to, to show how impressive the games you make are in Dreams. People buy games to play games, guys. I'm, I'm going to say this over and over again. I just don't understand who Dreams is for. I don't get it. I don't understand it. And this is just a doubling and tripling down on what I see is a good idea that will never be implemented properly on console because I would rather have Little Big Planet 4 or I would have rather had Dreams been a real game. Just make a game. I, I don't understand. I just don't get it. I don't I don't understand this this insistence on making games that require people to make games within the game. That's why RPG Maker was like a niche product, right? It's not it's not a thing that a first party invests in. So yeah, yeah. I just don't get it. You have, do you have any? I don't know. Do you have any other input into this? Do you am I being too harsh on dreams? I don't know. I, I think uh, I just think that's such a weird thing to do to hire people because there are plenty of people who are creating things in it. Like the, the dream subreddit from, from the last time I checked is pretty insanely active. So like it's not like it's got it's not like it doesn't have a community that's working on it and like doing all sorts of weird shit in it. Like they've got that. So the thought of like them even putting thought into hiring a, a team to hire internally to make things for it. Wouldn't you as the people who made the thing be the most qualified people to make things for it? Yes. Like, I I, I don't know. It's weird. I, I do think it is like an RPG maker thing. I think it's cool. I think it, I, I'm glad that dreams exist because it's just like neat to watch. But it's it is like an RPG maker thing where I it is. It's a very niche thing made for a very niche audience. And it's it's weird that it's this first party exclusive thing. It should be on everything. Yeah, that's what a, it should be. That's a great point, Chris. It would be really interesting if Dreams was an, an opening salvo for Sony first party to start getting their games, at least on PC. I always thought Bloodborne would have been an interesting one for that, too, because I think that yeah. that would have been that would have dra- dragged people. in. I think Bloodborne's day has come and gone. I don't think people are buying PS4s for it anymore. But that's a nice idea especially even on Xbox one to get dreams and be like, and, sure. and, and, and make this ecosystem. But I agree with you. What's sad to me about this is that it seems like a crash in very slow motion, like excruciatingly yeah, yeah. slow the motion. The problem is that they, they put too much emphasis on making, making the player make the game fun. Like little big planet, you could make stuff, but it also had a game accompanying it. So it was like a little bit more forgiving. Even back then, like when I played little big planet the first time, I was like, ah, it feels a bit stitched together. And it was fine. No, no pun intended. Yeah. Sackboy humor. Literally, yeah. Ah. But, ah. but I don't know. Like, uh, there's a lot of games like that that I really like. Like, they, they, I remember in, like, 2006 or, or seven or eight, like, one of those years, Microsoft put out this Banjo-Kazooie game that was all about just making vehicles. And they had this engine that you could make, like, all sorts of complicated vehicles. And, oh, this is really cool. Why is it a Banjo game, first off? But also, that's all you do. There's nothing else to it. Right. So it's fun to dick around in, but you're not, it's not a... A, a game in the way that a game is meant to be and I feel like this is one of those things it's like they should have had like a campaign along with it showcasing something something fun about it that way it was more than just a creation tool and it shouldn't be on one platform it just shouldn't like a game like this needs to be as as spread as possible yeah it needs because ubiquity. it's so niche I agree with you yeah the, the biggest thing to me is that it's just I really feel like this has a major danger of closing media molecule and i, I feel mm. like that can't all be blamed on media molecule i feel like that has to also be blamed on the producers and the sony 
side devs that greenlit and allowed and allowed this to go on for so fucking long. You know, how long are you going to let this go on before, you know, they make something else or they get closed down? And Sony has shown no patience with studios. See, that's the thing is like I look at dreams and I, I don't want any studio to close down. I, I, I want to be really clear about that. But you look around and you're like they SOCOM 4 comes out during the PSN crash and then Zipper pays the ultimate price, basically, because the game doesn't sell. Drive Club is totally broken. Evolution drops the ball on that. They're closed down, right? Big Big gets closed down after making, you know, being asked to make a bad Vita game and all these kinds of things. And but then Dr- Dreams is in incubating since Little Big Planet Two came out in 2011, right? And or it might even be earlier than that. It might even be like 2010. Mm-hmm. I think it's 2011 though. And eight years later, this is what you have. And I just feel like that's kind of unfair to the other teams that at least put shit out and tried. And I'm not saying Media Molecule is not trying and that they're not talented. I like the guys over there. I know some of them and they're really friendly and they're really nice. I want to see them unleashed making a game, not these tools, not the ability to other, for other people to make games. You have internal engines. Mm-hmm. And unless I think you brought this great idea, Chris, about dreams, unless they ha- they facilitate some sort of internal marketplace where people can make money making stuff on dreams which is really exciting that could be cool otherwise what's the point Mm. like what is ultimately the point with all this great content coming out you're going to be really distracted by someone recreating x-wing versus tie fighter on dream i don't think so i I just i just feel like the blame is easily spreadable like peanut butter upon a piece of white bread you understand i I don't know i don't know if that's a good reference or not yeah i don't think so it's actually a terrible reference number three We already knew Dying Light 2 was coming to PlayStation 4, but now we have confirmation that it'll be coming to PlayStation 5 or whatever the next gen PlayStation ends up being called as well. In an interview with website WCCTF Tech, or I'm sorry, WCCFT. What is this? WCCF Tech. I want to get the name right. A PR person working with developer Techland said, quote, Techland always has an eye on the latest new toys. To be more specific, yes. The plan since the beginning of production has been to make Dying Light 2 a cross-generation title, end quote. Since Dying Light 2 is set to launch on PS4 early in 2020, before the next-gen PlayStation comes out, this indicates that it'll be re-released later on, perhaps in some sort of complete edition. It's also worth noting that every PS4 game will work on PS5, though the specificity of Techland's answer uh, to this website seems that it indicates it'll be more than that. So this is one of the first confirmed next-gen games we have, and I can't think of too many confirmed cross-gen games. Yeah. Remember, this is going to be a complicated conversation moving forward, Chris, because cross-gen is always going to work now in one direction but not in the other. So what I mean by that for the audience is cross-gen is going to work from PS4 to PS5. Obviously, PS5 native games will not work on PS4. It seems like what Techland is saying is that they're going to make a PS5 skew of this game, which is interesting because the game is set to come out at least six months before PS4 or PS5 launches. So there's a lot of interesting dynamic in this answer that gives us a little bit of insight into what some of the plans are for some of these publishers, which I think is to re-release these bad boys with content complete DLC and all that kind of stuff. And maybe like a game of the year edition. Exactly. Because otherwise, why would you re-release it again on PS5 when you can just play the PS4 version? This is where the confusing aspect yeah, of all this is coming if, from. Like a game like Spider-Man is just the PS4 version, but running on a PS5 has, you know, bells and whistles to it. Right. Feels- it's unclear if they had to patch that stuff in. I would assume that they do. Right. I mean, yeah, I would assume. Right. So, yeah, like, well, I mean, it's un- I'm not technologically sophisticated enough to know if they put Spider-Man into a PS5 without a patch from Insomniac. 
would it still know it was running on a PS5? Was is in other words, this could be in the SDK or something like that for all we know. I don't I don't really yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, I I'd imagine it would just read the hardware that it's on, similarly to the way that it, it understands what a PS4 Pro is. Yeah, that's you true. Know? That's a good point. Um you just answered my question very succinctly. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Number four. Control, the upcoming third-person shooter from Remedy Entertainment, has officially gone gold, meaning that the game is finished and is being submitted for certification and printing. Word comes by way of Michael Kasurinen, the game's director on Twitter. He tweeted, quote, it is done. New IP, new tech, new game structure, new direction, three platforms and three years. What an achievement from the best dev team on the planet, end quote. As Kasurinen indicated, it's been about three years since Remedy's last game. The Xbox and PC exclusive Quantum Break was launched and Control will mark the first Remedy game on a PlayStation console in 16 years since Max Payne 2. The fall of Max Payne came to PlayStation 2 by way of publisher Rockstar in 2003. 505 Games is the publisher behind Control. I got to be honest with you, Chris, I'm really looking forward to this game. The more I, the closer yeah. I get to it, I think this is a really quiet, understated development. Sony seems to be really interested in this game. Again, this is really percolating the rumor mill about if Sony is buying Remedy. Yeah, I don't think they are. I hope they're not. Maybe they are. Is your excitement peaking now that we're getting a little closer? The game yeah, is gold. I'm, I'm really looking for I, I always I've always liked Remedy. Uh, and a lot of their releases have always been pretty understated. Like they've never like hyped up their things before. I've never played a Remedy game that came out and thought like, oh, this is this is the new big thing, you know? It always just kind of comes out and is typically enjoyable. Yeah, Alan Wake so, was kind of a subtle game. A yeah, subtle I release really game. loved Alan Wake. Did you like the American Nightmare? I didn't play that. See, uh, I didn't play that, no. Yeah, but I like the original Alan Wake quite a bit. And Quantum Break I liked, even though like I thought the TV aspect was really strange. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally up uh, for it. But any game with t- telekinesis. Yeah. That's especially is like a... Is just... Ooh, I, w- I was reading more about the game. I guess I didn't realize what it was actually about. I don't know what, it, what it's about either. It's kind of cool. It's about how there's like an, a branch of the American, not the American government, but like a, an FBI like unit in the United States that specifically deals with things that are seemingly impossible. So right. the entire idea is like it's kind of like X-Files, I guess. Yeah. And I really like that. That's cool. Like basically when something happens that is completely unexplainable, then these guys or gals get involved. And I, I think that that's pretty neat premise. Alan Wake reminds me of a person that worked with me at IGN. And when this person got a job at IGN, I was running IGN PlayStation. And this person, I asked this person, well, they were like, oh, I'm excited to get a PS3. And I was like, oh, what is the what what are you looking forward to playing? And the first answer this person said was Alan Wake. And I was like, get away from me. Did he not know? <laughs> they, they didn't No, they, they just didn't. It was just clear that this person had no idea what they were talking about. Ooh, shit. Rough. Number five. A rare new firmware update for PlayStation Vita is now available, and it appears designed specifically to block increasingly sophisticated hacks that allow for homebrew software, including emulators, to be played on the machine. The firmware update is numbered 3.71 and is mandatory if you try to connect to the PSN to buy something or uh, from the store or to sync trophies. I did update and tried to circumvent it just to see if you could, but you can't. Alex Russell wrote in and said, hi, Colin and Chris. Sony have just updated the Vita again this week for security purposes. How long do you think they will continue this back and forth with hackers until they finally stop spending time and resources on a system they deserted years ago at this point? So just to set the stage for people, Chris, and you know this, Mm -hmm. Vita has been largely unhacked until very recently. There's a firmware or there's a, a homebrew thing called Trinity, I believe, that they got running on PS Vita that basically broke the thing wide open. And Sony has multiple times now done subsequent patches to get rid of it. And then they've circumnavigated the patch and and released it again. So this is important because PSP was cracked wide the fuck open. Yeah. A long time ago. And it is valid to ask, like, when 
do they stop with this? Because PSP was broken open years before they stopped releasing PSP games or making the PSP. So they gave up. And this is why, by the way, and I've said this before, trophies aren't on PlayStation Portable. They were supposed to be and trophies aren't because Sony Sony realized the system was so broken that people would be able to just hack the shit out of it and get all the trophies and stuff. So that's why they're not on there. When do you think that they stopped this this game with Vita? For, as I understand it, the reason that they're so concerned about the Vita hack is because there is some way, apparently some really Byzantine way. I don't understand how it works. I'm not technological enough and I wouldn't do it on something new like this anyway to gain access to free games on PlayStation Store, basically using the Vita and do some other untoward stuff. So this cat and mouse game might actually continue for some time. Yeah, probably if it's if it's like that, there also could be just be like a the fact that it's connected to the PSN indicates that there could be some information. I, I mean, Sony and hack is not two words that you want to see like on a headline, especially given like history, you know, <laughs> it's not ideal. Definitely not. Definitely not. Uh, it, who knows? Like what what's on the like there's probably like, oh, hey, I got your credit card, you know. It could be stuff like that, and that's that would be pretty bad news. Definitely, so like, it makes it makes sense, I guess. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry. No, no, it. it I, I still think it's a bit weird. I, I think at this point, if it's if you if you're not even making the cartridges anymore, it is a bit weird to continue this. It just indicates to me that the that they find whatever homebrew is going on on Vita now to be unsavory enough. Where see, because. I was always of the mind with PSP that they 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 obviously knew that the thing was hacked wide open. And I think that they liked it because PSP sold like PSP sold 82 million units. I don't think people realize PSP sold a lot of units. PSP sold more than the Xbox 360. It's because the PSP was awesome. It is awesome, but it also has a low attach rate, meaning that a lot of people bought it to hack it. And I always wondered, like, why wouldn't you eventually just embrace that about the Vita? They probably could have sold millions of more Vitas. But I understand that there's a lot of complications behind that as well. And. I got to give them a lot of credit because the Vita was totally unhacked for like seven years, which is pretty remarkable. No way. Surely somebody must have figured out something. They, out they, so uh, I don't maybe maybe no major hacks, but there like was surely no there was like emulation on it before seven years. People people will correct me on this, but apparently the people have been trying to homebrew it forever. Right. And connecting right, right. it to the thing. And yeah, people got random stuff attack like running on it. But I guess apparently it, it creates this dynamic number certification number every time it's used for certain things and the numbers always randomized so it made it I guess that's a really basic way of putting it but it, I guess it made it like impossible to do anything worthwhile on it right. until they figured out this one problem and it was very recently apparently that they actually figured it out and it's not like the switch that was broken open immediately and by the way has like hardware problems where the first 30 million switches are all have this like built in thing that they can't fix so I you know Vita gets shit on a lot but I got to give them credit because they did make something that wasn't really ubiquitously hacked at all. And yeah. I think a lot of people expected that they would have hacked that thing sooner. Yeah, for sure. Well, so, I, I think a lot of it has to, like the PSP wasn't really as integrated with PSN in the way that the Vita was. Right. Exactly. You know, it was early on. It was, you know, at the beginning of PSN pretty much. Probably before, actually. Yeah. PSP came out before PSN launched as we as we yeah. know it. So, yeah. So, yeah, it just must have just not been a big deal for that to be hacked because it's it's not nearly as integrated. I really do think that they like to sell in all those extra millions of units. Listen, man, I love the PSP. Yeah, the PSP is good. One of my, that's, I think, honestly, my favorite uh, handheld. I like the PSP as well. The batteries are all broken, but... Yeah, that's a shame. Number six, 
couple of new notable trademarks have been filed that seem to indicate the existence of yet unannounced games, according to website Gamatsu. Ooh. Capcom has filed a trademark in Europe for a game called Shinsaki Into the Deaths. Shinsaki is Japanese for New World. The other filing comes by way of Sega, which filed a, J- a Japanese trademark for a game called Knight's Dream Wheel. Oh, no way. While Capcom's trademark doesn't point to any existing IP, Sega's likely does. Knight's is likely a reference to Sega's niche 1996 Saturn game Knight's in the Dreams. And again, that's Knight's N-I-G-H-T-S, not Knight's like the fighting Knight's. Yeah. It remains to be seen what either game is or if they'll be coming to PlayStation platforms. Additionally, Sega is teasing the announcement of a new Yakuza game for PlayStation 4, an announcement which will come... Uh, in Japan on August 29th. Are you a Knights fan? Oh, no, I, just, I was just feigning interest. Oh, okay. Knights in the Dreams, <laughs> 1996. It got a sequel. Do you remember that Knights got a sequel on Wii in 2008 or so, which was really weird. If it got a sequel on the Wii, I, I didn't play it. What, I don't remember what it's called. Knights in the Dreams is the first one. Knights, I don't know, Knights in the, the side of the mountain. The only game I owned on Wii was literally Wii Sports. I didn't buy a single Wii game. Really? I owned a lot of Wii games. I just hated it. I hated using it. I had to convince myself that it was bad. I had to believe after a while that it was bad. I was a big Nintendo fanboy, dude. Like, I mean, I, I love Nintendo too, but like the GameCube was so good, and, and then the Wii was just uh, uh, the controller was all wrong, and <laughs> it was so awful to look at when you compared it to like the 360 that was out at the time or the PS3. Just like from a from a fidelity standpoint, mm. like Jesus Christ. Yeah, I couldn't even do HD. This was just a PS2 no generation. HDMI. It was a PS2 console, really. No, it was. It, was. it got. It used to get a lot of PS2 ports. Manhunt 2 famously came to Wii and PS2. I remember Spider-Man 3 on the PS2 was just the Wii version. It's very strange that the Wii did so well, but it is a it is that blue ocean strategy that Nintendo employs, which is to just get as many things out there as possible, and it's working with them for Switch now too. Although, uh, first of all, Pokemon is gonna be fucking huge, so Switch is gonna win. This fall, no doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. But I'll be interested once the new consoles are announced if Switch will start to flatline as well or if Nintendo will follow up the Switch like they have with this kind of uh, dockless Switch, if they'll follow it up with something a little more powerful. Because as we've explained in the past, I really think that they're going to run into a fidelity and power problem with ports. And, and that's going to be a problem for them because I don't think their first parties can and second parties can put out enough content. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's a tremendous achievement that they managed to port Witcher 3, which is impressive, but also that's, what, 2016? Yeah, 2015. Oh, even even earlier. I think. So, yeah. uh, I mean, it's it's four years later, and you just managed to port a four-year-old game. And does it run at, like, 20 frames a second at, like, yeah, 480? Yeah, it probably runs at, if it runs at a consistent 30, that'd be insane. But yeah. even still, the fact that that would be insane is is enough to tell you that, like, ooh, you know, maybe maybe they'll run into a problem. Number seven, FIFA 20's cover athletes have been revealed and who you get depends on which version of the game you buy. The so-called standard edition of FIFA 20 has Real Madrid's Eden Hazard on the cover, while the Champions edition has Liverpool's Virgil van Dijk. I think I'm saying that right. The Ultimate Edition will have its own cover athlete, though EA hasn't revealed it yet. FIFA 20 launches on PlayStation 4 on September 27th. As we discussed on an earlier episode of Sacred Symbols, FIFA 20 will be the first edition of FIFA not coming to PlayStation 3 since 2005's FIFA 2006. So that's a pretty notable thing. This is There has been all of these years with a PS3 version of the game until this year. There's a guy out there whose real name is Eden Hazard? I guess so. That's what it sounds it's like a... It sounds like an action movie character. Also, Eden's a woman's name, isn't it? I knew an Eden yeah. in high school. Well, whatever. I, he probably punch punch right through my face. He might before, <laughs> and then he'll and then he'll claim and then he'll fake his injuries. Of course, on the on the pitch. 
But I wanted to include FIFA 20 here because I wanted to be fair. I don't care about these games at all, but I know some people out there do. FIFA 20 is EA's biggest game. So I'm sure some of you fucking losers out there play it. Number eight. Defiant Development, the Australian studio founded in 2010 and largely known for its Hand of Fate games, Hand of Fate and Hand of Fate 2, is officially shutting down. Word comes by way of the developer's official Facebook page, which stresses that all of its team members are now looking for employment and that the team, quote, will continue in in caretaker mode to support our existing products, end quote. Defiant's Hand of Fate came out in 2015, with its sequel coming two years later in 2017. Both games are on PS4. Both games are unique action RPG slash card game mixes, though the sequel was crowdfunded, indicating that the original didn't solicit strong publisher attention. We wish the best to all those affected by this news. I'm always sad when Australian studios shut down because apparently the game dev scene there is really not in good shape. And really? Yeah. You remember, um, the fuck was that studio that made L.A. Noir? They oh, were Australian. Yeah, yeah. I can't think of that the name of them right now. But there's a there was like a quite a few big name studios over there, and there are pretty much none now. And it's just not a not a vibrant gaming development scene over there. So every time they lose jobs over there, I am saddened by that. that really the name sucks. of that studio is on the tip of my tongue. I don't want to look it up though. <laughs> I guess I'll just look it up. I'm gonna look it up right now. L.A. Noir <laughs> Wiki in general is pretty barren of a lot of like I have some friends. Team Bondi. Tim Bondi. What is it? Team Bondi. Team Bondi. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of barren industries over there. It's kind of it's kind of sad. Like, I have a friend of mine who's Australian. He's a comedian. He's like, the stand-up scene out there is, like, completely just, like, dead. It's kind of sad. It's they're wild. All, it's sad. They're on the other side of the world. They're all lonely down there. Their toilet bowls flush in the other direction. Yeah, their spiders kick them off their bikes and shoot them in the kneecaps with actual handguns. It's fucking crazy over there, man. It really is. I don't understand what's going on. It's too far away, too. It's just so far away. I, yeah. I can never. I would love to go there, but I just can't imagine going there. There could be literally dragons there, for all I know. Right. Might you not know? exist at all. We don't really know. The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Let's see, where are we? Number nine. Yet another small-time publisher has purchased an independent developer to bolster its portfolio. This time, the publisher in question is Big Ben Interactive, and the developer in question is Spiders. Big Ben Interactive is a Europe-based publicly traded entity that publishes games in the Warhammer, Tennis World Tour, World Rally Championship, Rugby, Aqua and Snowmoto, and Isle of Man franchises. Spiders is a French studio founded about a decade ago and is behind a number of smaller games published uh, with publisher Focus Home Interactive beginning in 2009. Its biggest games include 2014's Bound by Flame and 2016's The Technomancer. Big Ben's acquisition announcement isn't shy, shy that, in addition to the studio's talent, the publisher is also interested in their proprietary engine called Silk. Big Ben's purchase of Spider is the entity's third developer buy in the last 18 months. They also purchased three other French teams recently, cycling game team Cyanide Studio, racing game team Clioton, and support team Echo Software. So it looks like Big Ben Interactive, I was reading a lot about them last night. I was interested in them, reading about who they are and where they come from and their history. Seems like they're slowly amassing a pretty impressive portfolio of games that are in the B tier or the A tier, not the triple A tier, but like, the annualized rugby game, your annualized WRC game, your annualized, uh, you know, fight these random fighting games Could and we be cycling looking games. At the next THQ Nordic, seems like these guys are a responsible THQ Nordic. They have the teams they need. They bought for the now, te- you know. Yeah, I guess for now <laughs> for we'll now. see. We'll see in a year. 
yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll chronicle their uh, their progress from there. But I thought that was interesting. Spiders is actually one of the bigger French teams and is no longer independent. A lot of people really like the Technomancer and Bound by Flame. They're making a new game, too. I, I can't remember the name of it, but it is not going to be published by Big Ben Interactive. So this Weird. is one of those deals, just like when Obsidian was purchased by yeah. Microsoft. We're still going to get their newest game from whoever the fuck's That's a great name too, Spiders. It is. Yeah, it's just called Spiders. Spiders. Yeah, there's no, it's not Spiders Limited or Spiders Studio, it's just Spiders. Number 10, this is a wrap up. Website Gamatsu reports that popular PC hospital building game Two Point Hospital is coming to PlayStation 4 by the end of 2019. That Wipeout-like racer Lost Wing is coming to PS4 by the end of 2019. And that weird platformer Exception is coming to PlayStation 4 on August 13th. The website also notes that Doom 64 has weirdly been rated for release on PS4. Doom 64 is actually its own unique game created outside of id by defunct Midway and was an early N64 game coming to the console right after launch in March of 1997. I have to admit, Chris, my ignorance on this. I didn't know this when I saw this. I was like, what are you talking about? Doom? The original Doom just came out. I was always under the impression that Doom 64 was a port of the original Doom, but it's not. It's its own totally unique Doom game that takes place apparently after Doom 2. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. So when I saw that, I was like, what the fuck are you talking Doom about? Doom was on PS1 also. It was like, a, it was modified. But it, was, it was a port. Yeah, it was. And there was a Doom 2 port, I think, on PS1 as well. But I always just thought Doom, just like Mega Man 64 was Mega Man Legends, right? You always had the 64 after it to indicate that it was like the N64 port. Yeah. This isn't the case. Doom 64 is a unique game. I did not know that. Yeah. I, I have to admit, I know almost everything, but I didn't know that. Strange. I figured I would have heard about that because I, I I know enough about Midway. That's shocking. Chris, Jason Gardner wrote into us as we get into our new game releases. We mentioned earlier that Doom, Doom 2, and Doom 3 came out kind of a surprise launch on PS4. So they're out there now. Yeah. And you can buy them. Jason Gardner wants to know, Chris, how excited are you that the original Doom and Doom 2 are now on PS4? Eh. That about sums it up. All right. Fair eh. Enough. You know, I, I I mean, like I said, like I, I've... I've had it on my Xbox One for a while. I'm excited at the prospect of it being on Switch. That'll be a fun little thing to take on the go with me. Yeah, they're there. For sure. They're there. That was the big announcement was that they were there first, I think. Yeah, but like I, I think there's like some weird thing where you have to sign in with a, a, a Bethesda net account or something to play them, which is kind of annoying. Yeah, I saw that. They're patching that out, apparently, which is nice. Oh, are they? Yeah. Okay, good. Because I was about to say, it's like, yeah, we'll screw that then. Well, because Wolfenstein's, Wolfenstein Youngbloods has, or Youngblood has a similar sign-up screen, but it's not forced on you. But I'm like, I don't want to sign up for a Bethesda account. Leave me alone. Yeah. Why do you think I want to sign I up for a one, Bethesda account? I have one, but I don't, I don't like being reminded of it. <laughs> Chris, as tradition dictates, you will read the first of the game releases and we'll go from there. All right, bear with me. Bear with me. Uh, the Lost Robots comes to PS4. The noir episodic point-and-click adventure series Bear With Me is back. Introducing Bear With Me, The Lost Robots. An all-new prequel chapter featuring Amber's brother Flint and the callous detective Ted E. Bear. Whoa. God, wow. <sighs> Forager comes to PS4. Forager is a 2D open-world game inspired by your favorite exploration, farming, and crafting games. Start small and improve your base, skills, equipment, network of friends and enemies, and build your future as you see fit. Labyrinth Life comes to PS4. Roguelike X Relaxation. Cross. cross. Nah, I never, I never like saying cross. I really hate cross yeah, as a word. Me too. Why? <laughs> cross generally or just that X now indicates that it actually means cross yeah yeah i don't <laughs> it doesn't jive with me at all take it easy in the latest addition to the series omega labyrinth venture venture th oh i thought it was like one of those weird japanese titles omega <laughs> labyrinth venture through a dungeon with different rooms and items every time you challenge it that sounds like a roguelike yeah raise flowers rebuild the academy 
and more. Enjoy a laid-back life. All right, whatever. That seems weird. Madden NFL 20 comes to PS4. Be the face of an NFL franchise where your decisions, where the decisions you make matter in your journey to become an NFL superstar. Create your own college quarterback to play through the college football national championship playoffs and the NFL combine for your shot at the NFL draft. (laughs) New star management comes to PS4. This is soccer management like you've never experienced it. Be more than just a player. Be the head, the heart, and the backbone of New Star FC. Be the manager. Take control of a... a, a bela- what? Beleaguered. That beleaguered? Beleaguered. That is not a word I expected to hear today. Take control of a beleaguered soccer club, which needs your management skills and instincts to unlock the team's potential and make it to the top of the game. I always wanted to like management games. They're really fun in premise. There was a game called NFL Head Coach on PS2 right. that EA put out that was kind of a management game. That I was fun. hate management games. But it's kind of surprising to see it on PS4 because a lot of them are not console games. And then we only got one of those head coach games. That was like the best Madden game of the last 20 years. Solo Islands of the Heart comes to PS4. Love is a universal feeling, but each of us experiences it in a different way. Solo Islands of the Heart explores the theme of love in an introspective way, allowing players to identify. I'm sorry, allowing players to identify and reflect on their own experiences. <sighs> Super, <laughs> Super Willow D-Make comes to PS4 and, and Vita. Willow and Agatha need to rescue their dog from the clutches of Dr. E.T. Valdo. Roll, fly, jump, and shoot your way across a variety of different platforming levels using unique power-ups to reach the end of the level. (laughs) Can you defeat all five bosses and rescue your buddy? A lot of that was describing just what a video game is. Who's calling me? Someone's calling me right now. Let's see what it is. Oh, no. Hello? Hey, dog. Thanks for calling me back. I appreciate it. Oh, dear. Did you guys see the Quentin Tarantino movie? I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited. Colin's taking a phone call, so I figured I should. Yeah, yeah, I can uh, come in and see you on. Let's see, are you available? Are you available even tomorrow afternoon? Uh, let's do two. All right, great, thanks, man. I feel like Brad and Leo probably have some pretty good. Uh, I appreciate you. Bye. <laughs> what was that? That was Doug, my financial advisor. Oh, good. So, got to go talk to him tomorrow. All right, where were we? Sorry. The Blackout Club comes to PS4. Yeah. The Blackout Club is a first-person co-op horror game. He sounded really disappointed. (laughs) The Blackout Club. (laughs) Very disappointed. The Blackout Club is a first-person co-op horror game centered around a group of teenage friends investigating a monstrous secret beneath the the skin of their small town. Every night, everyone in town gets out of bed and sleepwalks. In the morning, they wake up with no recollection of what happened or where they are. Or where they were. I didn't read that very well, but you know, it doesn't sound very good. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, the Church in the Darkness comes to PS4. The year is 1977. Your nephew has joined a religious cult and moved with them to, to the South American jungle to found Freedom Town. It's up to you to sneak, sneak into the commune, find out what's really going on, and decide if you need to get your nephew. Decide if you need to get your nephew out. Like, ah, maybe this cult is good. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Uh, is this a socialist utopia or an, or an oppressive prison? It's Bernie Sanders, uh, Bernie Sanders commune down there. <laughs> the camera zooms out and it, it becomes like an aerial space. And then the planet is literally just Bernie Sanders scalp. <laughs> it's a twist did, at the end. Did you see the great gif from the first uh, Democratic debate 
with it's just of Joe Biden, but Bernie's next to him and Bernie like does his little finger wag and, yeah. and Biden's like like flinches back. It's so funny, man. You say GIF? It's a, yeah. Oh, you say that? That's how it's pronounced. No, it's it's GIF, but okay. The man who created it calls it GIF. It's out of his hands, my friend. <sighs> it's not have, a I graphical can't. user inter- interface. I can't have this argument anymore. It's been so many years of having this argument. I can't do it. <laughs> the Tower of Beatrice comes to PS4 and Vita. The life of a thief isn't easy. Always hiding in shadows, clients cheat, traps bite. Working on a contract for a mysterious client, you'll need to infiltrate the tower of the powerful sorcerer Beatrice. Steal her book of recipes and get out alive. Beatrice is such a such a villain name. Nothing that interesting coming out. I guess Madden will be big for a lot of you. And also the Doom games are out. Doom 1, 2, yeah. and 3. But that's about it. We're in holding pattern. Chris, let's do our other tradition now, which is listener mail or reader hey, mail, as reader, we like to call it. Uh, reader mail. Oh, ho! You're right. Not too late. Keep sounded like you had a fucking sound like you were possessed. A little it's bit amazing there. how <gasps> much it's amazing how much of those I managed to, to keep away. I burp all the time when I podcast. It's a problem. It's a problem. I mean, when you talk, it's just talking brings it brings this. No, when I stream, it's like I don't care. So, I, so it's 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 a, if you watch a stream, you'll notice it's a problem. Like I'm probably dying, but it's like whatever. We're all kind of dying in our own way. aren't we? I guess so. I guess that's what life is. Geek Aloud wrote into us and said, hey. How big do you think the PS5 will be physically? I hope it's massive. Really? Yeah, I hope it's hilariously big. I don't think it will be. I I, I, be. No, I'm not saying I think it will be. I'm saying I hope. Like as big I, as the Xbox One? No, nah, I hope Xbox it's bigger. bigger I, hope than it's a, I hope it's the size. I hope it's like at least the size of the original Xbox. Hmm, That's big. That's yeah, that's pretty is, big. And that's heavy. That thing is durable as hell. I dropped that thing down the stairs once and it, it still works. That Xbox was heavy, man. I think they used to put them in trebuchets and launch them at uh, at regimes. <laughs> Encourage regime change with uh, launched trebuchet Xboxes. Yeah, I, I mean, realistically, I think that it'll be the size of the PS4 Pro. Yeah, I think so. Probably. Maybe a little bigger than that. But I, I just because it'll have to probably have some heat management issues or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think I don't think it'll be that much bigger than the Pro, but. Sony's been pretty good about giving us sleek machines, with the exception of the original PS3. I think pretty much all their machines look I great. I loved that thing. For the, real. The Spider-Man text I liked, PS3? I like the fat one. Oh, God. I like the fat PS2 also. Like, I, I never liked... Oh, the fat PS2 I never liked their remodels until this generation, I think. And even this generation, I think, is actually... Is, actually, no, never mind. I actually prefer the original PS4 model. Well, there you go. We, in our room right now. I just wish it wasn't glossy. Yeah, the, that's the only thing I don't like about it. The PS4 remakes over there, and the, the original PS4 is right there. The PS3 is on top of it. That slim PS2 was disgusting. It was so light. Yeah, it, it was felt ridiculous. like the breeze could destroy it. Do you remember the PS1 redesign that was like really tiny and yeah, you could like but, hook yeah. a screen into it? It was like a worse shade of gray. I remember that. I saw it and I was like, ew, that's a dumb shade of gray. My shade of gray is better than that shade of gray. <laughs> I remember thinking that exactly. <laughs> I remember seeing someone play it with a screen. Oh, yeah, the little snap-on screens. That and I was really... like, this is fucking cool, man. Yeah. It was really, it was actually, a, I think it was in a car with Mark Ryan, who's the guy who hired me at IGN a long time ago when I was still an intern at IGN. And we were going to E3. And as I recall, I think he had it plugged into like the cigarette thing. Mm-hmm, yeah. And he was playing that. Remember when, you might be too young for this, but do you remember the, there was a revolution when I was in high school, basically, where kids started getting TVs put into their cars and like consoles put into their cars. I remember that. And so like you would I open, never had it. You would open a trunk and a guy would have like a PS2 and like a TV screen in there. I'll never forget that as long as I live. I was like, what do you what? Why? I remember my friend had that and I was jealous, even though like I, I know now that I wouldn't have played it at all, especially in New York, because you're in the car for all of 
maybe 15 minutes. That's kind of why I enjoyed the trunk one, because I was like, all right, so you park and then everyone gathers around the trunk to play Gran Turismo 2. You know what's cool, though, about that is like when uh, at some midnight releases, like I remember this for the for the um, the Halo Reach midnight release, everybody came out and there was like this dude with a truck and he just had a a TV and everybody was like playing Halo 3 on it. That was so cool. That was that guy's moment. You know, yeah, that was that guy. That was he's probably dead by now. Probably. Because that was probably, he realized that that was his biggest contribution. That was his moment. He founded fucking some crazy company. <laughs> and he's a millionaire now. Ray Ripley wrote into us. It's not a real name. He said, hello, Juicy <laughs> Colin and Splendid Chris. I hope all is well. In the wake of Mario Maker 2's success, do you think Sony will reboot Little Big Planet? And if so, what do you want to see from it? Have a great day and keep Tuesdays great. I guess this does go into what I was saying earlier. It's kind of a contradiction because Mario Maker is vibrant. And the sequel obviously is very well received, relying entirely on people making shit. Mario has a cam- it, I believe it has a campaign though. I believe it has its own levels that are made specific. And also, but Mario is also level based. It also doesn't require you to have an, a master's in fine art to understand how to paint <laughs> shit in in the game. You know. Yeah, that's that's also true. It's a lot simpler. Uh, I could totally see why Mario. I, I've been th- really tempted to play it. It looks great. Mario Maker, because I know that that's something that I could probably like sink my teeth into, but also I'm bad at Mario, so it would be the point. Well, I'm good at Mario, so it would be... A lot of people are asking me to us to play games that I'm good at, So because I, I, you're making me actually look bad at this point in our Let's Play. We'll do Mega Man, because I'm not that great at Mega Man. I'll fucking school you in Mega Man. Son. Probably, yeah. <laughs> that was really aggressive. Jason Bond wrote in and said, Hello, Colin and Chris. On episode 56, Chris mentioned that people's negative reaction to the Avengers designs is because the audience is used to seeing the actors of MCU portraying the heroes. I'd like to think that the that the reaction is negative because the designs look like shit. <laughs> Nobody complained about Peter Parker's design in Spider-Man PS4, even though it's far from Tom Holland, because it was an excellent portrayal of the most popular Marvel hero. Keep up the great work, now, fellas. Listen, what do you on. think about what Jason I have says? A, I, have a pro- I don't necessarily have a problem with the, the argument that the designs look like shit, because I also kind of agree. I have a problem with the argument that because people were okay with Spider-Man and, and uh, Peter Parker in the, in the PS4 game, that somehow nullifies the argument. People were okay with the Spider-Man in the PS4 game because we've had 5,000 live-action t- uh, Spider-Man. That's the, in, in a very short amount of time. We had Tobey Maguire, we had Andrew Garfield, we had Tom Holland endless cartoon and CG recreations of this character in video games and all sorts of media. The Avengers have only had one mainstream presence in the MCU for the last decade. We've only had one live-action Iron Man. We've only had one live-action Captain America, as far as, like, you know, as when I say that, I mean, obviously, mainstream and wide-appealing. I'm sure we've had some, like, crazy... I remember there was one uh, Captain America movie in the 90s that was horrendous. But... I, I don't think that's a fair comparison at all. We've had so many Spider-Man. Was there... Uh, I, see, I'm ignorant enough on this to not even know. Was the Spider-Man in Insomniac's game supposed to be Uncanny Valley Tom Holland? No, it's supposed to be its own thing. Yeah, so, that, because, because so they that's different too, right? Well, no, I mean, that's well, just fundamentally... are, well, these are supposed to be the same characters, but diff- but a different take. Just I like see, Spider-Man okay. is a different take on uh, the Spider-Man of right. any kind of thing. Okay. But, but that specific team... You know, Thor, Hulk, uh, uh, Black Widow, Iron Man. I don't know if Hawkeye's in it. But, like, th- that team specifically is the MCU. That's what we've had for the last 10 years and what we've grown used to. Even if you haven't even watched the movies, you probably know Robert Downey Jr. is Iron Man. And you're going to see, if you see any kind of CG recreation of that, it's going to look weird if it doesn't look like Robert Downey Jr. I wonder how much it would have realistically cost them. A lot. to just. But, but I mean, in... 
in context to what, I guess is my question. If you just got them not doing the mocap, but just saying like, just come to the studio and just let us get you in mocap once and that's it. And then we'll, you know, how much does that realistically cost your studio or, or the publisher? 15 or $20 million for them for a day? I, probably more. Probably more, honestly. Robert Downey Jr. is so expensive. <laughs> so I'm not going to, I don't want to spoil anything, right? For anybody who's like interested in these movies and hasn't seen them yet, although I highly doubt it. But Iron Man is out of out of the picture in in these movies. Robert Downey Jr. is gone. He's out of the he's out of the out of the movie. Is it because he's too expensive at this point? I think so. I think I think the, I think Disney cannot afford to continue to hire Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> and that is insane. And you have to look at that and think, oh well, maybe Crystal Dynamics can. I'm like, no, sorry. Yeah, like, I for mean, real. No, you're you're right. But and it's funny with Robert Downey Jr. as well because he was like down and out for a long time when we were younger. He and was like, he was fucking the, out. Yeah, and now he's probably the most successful actor. Of I all think time. he was like a drug and like alcohol abuser yeah, he to was. the max back in the day. Mm-hmm. But you know, everyone recovers. That doesn't mean anything personally. Against it's a him. great. I think part of what makes the MCU so great is it's this great redemption story of that character and him. Yeah, it's, it's true. So cool. And I, that's the only MCU movie I've seen still is Iron Man, and I I liked it a lot. It's a great movie. But you're right in the sense that it's very expensive. I guess I'm just wondering if they re- if they're really serious about making this game a thing. It's clearly going to stick around. Crystal has spent a lot of time making it. Square Enix uh, is not working with them on this one, obviously. So they have a, a benefactor that even has more money. I just wonder. Well, obviously, Square Enix owns them. But what I'm saying is they have a benefactor in Marvel. You guys understand what I mean? Yeah. I just wonder, is it like, is it worth the investment to make the game as realistic as possible? Right. Like. I, I, apparently not. Apparently it's not worth it. But if you're intending on selling this game, I mean, I'm sure their intention with this game is to sell like 10 million copies. At that point, that's all. At that point, you actually can afford it if these guys are like realistic in what they're asking. And yeah. I don't think that like Robert Downey Jr. is a big deal, right? But I don't think him going in and being like, I want $10 million to come mocap for a day. I don't think that's realistic, right? I think like someone to go like, can you guys just like come and add realist, yeah. real, uh, realistic nature to this game? But I think that a major hang up. This is came to mind. I don't know why. I think a major hang up with this is that these guys are afraid of their likeness being put in games where they can be manipulated and all sorts of weird shit. Oh, like Alan Page with the David Cage games. Right. And it reminds me of when, no doubt, the band sued rock. The guys who, you know, harmonics yeah. over their appearance in rock band, because apparently it wasn't clear to them that they can be used in wear costumes and be singing shitty songs and all that kind of stuff. They were like under the impression that they would be in it. They would look cool and they would sing their songs. So it's kind of a similar thing that came to mind where I'm like, it's probably mostly money, but I bet you there's also an, an element of like, with the mods and the crazy shit people can do. We really don't want to be a part of this because who the fuck knows what they're going to do with our likeness, you know? I think that might have something to do with it as well. That's definitely it. But in in other words, if you're going to make something, why not just do it right? Yeah, I I mean yeah they they could have circumvented a lot of this just by making it more cell shaded and comic booky yeah and, and yeah or not rooting we've it seen in plenty of cartoon incarnations of the Avengers but as far as like anything that's supposed to look realistic we've really only had these MCU people we've had so many Spider Man like we're so used to seeing different incarnations of Spider Man that's a great point just in the sense that I wasn't even aware that and 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 like you said it wasn't but I wasn't even thinking of PS4 Spider Man in the context of his movie characters because even I knew that. I mean, yeah. I was in high school when the Tobey Maguire stuff came out. I'm not that old. So it's yeah. been rebooted several times. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. 
But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Kenneth Ohms wrote in and said, hey, Colin and Chris, picking up on how open world is very oversaturated nowadays, I was wondering how you both felt about the farming and monster slaying and town building genre, such as Minecraft, Stardew Valley, and so on. While I love these games and each have their unique qualities, I can't help but feel like we're seeing more and more clones of the genre. We have Dragon Quest Builders, both one and two. We have My Time at Porsche, and we have two more games coming in early access and eventually to PS4. One is a Lost in Blue inspired like game and the other like Dragon Quest Builders, but with a Pokemon monster taming and raising element called JRPG Life or something like that. Not to mention Game Freak is also working on a similar game called Town and Animal Crossing. Anyways, or called Town and Animal Crossing. Is that the game name? I don't know what you're saying. You got to have a little there's a There's a game uh, that Nintendo announced called Town. I think it was just the untitled project name. Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, Animal Crossing is something else. So there needs to be a comma, Kenneth, there. Anyways, comma, Kenneth. I was just wondering when we could get tired, when we would get tired of this genre. You could get tired of it at any point. Hey, man, this is what I keep saying. Games take time to make. Being a Me Too style game that you, and I don't mean in the, the, the <laughs> sexual thing. like trying Objection. To, the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> trying to make a game like someone else is just dangerous. It's more dangerous than trying to copy a musical style. It's more dangerous than trying to make a TV show or anything like that because it just takes too long. So when Stardew Valley revives, for instance, the Harvest Moon style game, of course you're gonna, and, they, and by the way, it was made by one person and the guy's a fucking multimillionaire now. Of course people are gonna try to copy it. The, the thing is, is that it's just too late. There were so many Minecraft clones on, I don't know if it was on the, the PSN in the same way, but I remember back when, Oh, yeah. Well, did Minecraft come to PS3 or was that? Yeah, no, it did. Yeah, yeah. There were so like Fortress Craft and like all these things that were so clearly Minecraft or made to trick like babies into buying them. Yeah, it's full. It's foolish. And I think that, listen, someone wins when these things happen. Minecraft or Mojang was purchased by Microsoft for three billion dollars. So clearly there's a lot of money to be made in Minecraft. And as we've discussed on the show in the past, Microsoft has a real ubiquitous attitude with Minecraft where they won't seal it behind Xbox and PC, which I would do if I were in charge. So they clearly are seeing a lot of revenue there as well. But I just think that I don't think Dragon Quest Builders is a great example because that's supposed to be uh, the first game is good and the second one's supposed to be even better. But 
I, I just think it's about combining IP that means something like Dragon Quest with a style of game like Minecraft that is really resonant with people. It's this kind of like gray area, weird. It's like mi- remixing. Yeah, it's like Almost. I don't. So it's like why Musos work so well. Omega Force makes these Musou hack and slash games with all these different IP. They're the same game over and over again, but people like them because it's Zelda or it's Dragon Quest or it's Dynasty Warriors or whatever the case might be. I just think the IP matters the most in these particular situations. And when these games, by the way, Chris, require so much time, like you can have a full time job playing Stardew Valley. That game is so complicated and so deep. Yeah. Then making games that are like it, I think, is a really bold thing. It's like what we said about games as a service, right? Are these ubiquitous shooters and these looter shooters and these these free to play shooters? It's risky endeavor when people are already obsessed with what you're copying. And that's why you need to make new stuff. I think that's that's my take for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I understand, you know, like we said with Wolfenstein Youngblood, I'm on. I, I understand why people are upset about that game simply because it's it's experimental in a way and it's not what people want out of Wolfenstein. But I also appreciate that it was like a one off side $30 game yeah. in which they can garner data That's from kind it. of what Bethesda has been doing lately. They've just been experimenting a hell of a lot like Fallout 76. Ah, do people want this? I don't know. Oh, Rage 2. It's it's a great linear shooter, but like with large spaces of nothing in between the great shit. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> you know, I don't know. And then you have Avalanche Studios out there being like, and Generation Zero, which is a game we made in you kill two robots? days. Maybe sometimes. I still if you find one. I still can't believe that game was made. I still can't believe that Avalanche made that. game. It's really bad. It's I didn't believe stunningly you. bad. Oh yeah, I you played believe, it. At, uh, yeah, I played it a little bit, and I couldn't. I I was actually startled. It felt like something from 2011 on Unity. It's bad. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Blake Gavidin wrote in and said, "Hey, Colin and Chris." I've noticed that my gaming group has been growing apart from my regular gaming interests over the last few years regarding the style of play we enjoy. My friends have gotten in on the trend of loot grind style games like Path of Exile, Destiny 2, Monster Hunter World, etc. And I simply cannot get into these. I feel like these sorts of games have become more and more prominent over the last five or ten years and I don't like it. It seems to me like a shortcut for lengthening or supposedly deepening a game's systems or content without providing real value. What are your thoughts on this trend in modern games development? And do you think I'm just missing something here? I simply can't ignore the feeling that I'm rolling the dice over and over again, hoping to get something so I can go back to rolling the dice again. It just seems kind of pointless. Yeah, I mean, if if I don't know, it, it's tricky with 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 a game like uh, Destiny 2, for example, like I'm going to speak on that because it's the one I have the most experience with. I like that game as a base game, like as the game plays. It's just it's a fun game to me. Because I'm an FPS guy, and it's obviously Bungie's really good at, at making those kinds of games. The looter shooter aspect, or the games as a service aspect, is just kind of a layer on top of it. It's not the game. So I think, you know, if you're looking for a game to play, I think, and, and you know, your, your friends are growing apart or whatever, that's, I don't know, I think that's just kind of natural and normal. Like, people gravitate to different things as new things come out. But... I, I wouldn't write off these games just because of a layer on top of what... The, like, The Division 2 is a great tactical third-person shooter. It has a loot system on top of it, for sure. But the base, like, moment-to-moment gameplay of that game is really good, especially in that genre. Like, I haven't played a game like that in a while. Like, that played as satisfying. A third-person shooter that played that satisfying, I haven't played in a while. Right. Um, and Destiny 2, I would argue, was in the same place, where it's, this is a great, genuinely a great first-person shooter, for real, especially now. And, you know, I think you just got to examine your taste. Are you an FPS guy? Because I think you might like Destiny 2, honestly. Are you a third-person shooter guy? I think you might enjoy The Division or, or what have you. You know, you just got to, I don't know, examine what you like. Yeah, I think from people a, write these games off a lot. And I think it's, I don't know, I, I calm down a little bit. Yeah, I, I agree with you in the sense that, like, I like Destiny a lot. Or, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, The Division a lot. 
And it's not really the grinding aspects I like. I actually like the game mechanically. I think it's fun yeah. to play. And I think it's like satisfying. And yeah, getting the new loot is fun, but that's not really why I play it. So I, I do want to encourage people to listen to Chris as well in the sense that you can get different things out of these games. I I, I agree that we're getting to a position where the loot grind is a it, it really does constitute a ton of dice rolls. And it's and it's yeah kind of, I guess, not gamey in that sense as much if it's just like a, it's it's based on luck, right? Literally and figuratively. Mm hmm. But I will put out there and I will contend that these systems, these meta games, inherently make the games deeper in such a way that they're more fulfilling for a lot of people because there are those multiple levels, like Chris said. For so sure. I don't know. I agree with you that I want to play games by myself and, and I don't really pay attention to what other people around me are playing. So I, I don't have that problem. Yeah. But I will say that there's more to these games than the simple dice roll. There yeah. must be because there's, there's they're doing reason, so well. Yeah, there's a reason they're really successful. And like a game with a, an addicting loot system wouldn't be played by millions of people if the game underneath it wasn't fun. And I think that's kind of the point. Drew Sleezer wrote into us. He said, greetings, CNC. In the near future, Tokyo RPG Factory's third game, Onanaki, will be releasing, and I am totally fascinated with the studio. A small team funded by a large publisher to make cheaper games at a fast rate. Three games since forming in 2014. I am assuming that Square Enix isn't putting that much money into the studio compared to the likes of Final Fantasy VII Remake or The Avengers, etc. And I wonder how viable the strategy is for, ma for major publishers. Would a publisher like Activision benefit from this strategy? Or does this only work due to the genre of retro uh, in the retro JRPG genre? Thanks again and continue to record stuff on Monday. Therefore, making Tuesdays great. Uh, we will continue to do that, Drew. So I'm a fan of Tokyo RPG Factory as well. For people that don't know, Tokyo RPG Factory is a Square Enix owned Japanese team. Not surprisingly in Tokyo. And their charge was to make 16 and 32 bit style role playing games and to make them quick. And so they did that. I Am Satsuna was their first game, which I am absolutely enamored with. I love that game. It's from 2016. The follow-up, 2018's Lost Sphere, wasn't as good. I didn't care for it very much, although I played it all the, almost to the end and then didn't beat it. And Onanaki <laughs> comes out soon, and it does look really, really good. I think Square Enix has been pretty clear that Tokyo RPG Factory is not making money. In fact, I think that they said with I Am Setsuna that they lost money on it. The good news is that it doesn't seem to matter. It seems like Square Enix realizes that this studio, for whatever it costs... I mean, they've made three games in four or five years. They probably are 20 strong. It's probably cost... 15 or 20 million to make all of these games combined. So it's not a huge investment for Square Enix. And I think it's cool that they take their money from somewhere else and they put it into this pot and they try to elevate these other games. EA talks about doing that with their EA originals and all that. The corollary to this, I think, or the, the, the kind of interesting comparison, I think, of Chris with this is what Ubisoft was trying to do for a little while with UbiArt, with yeah, Child yeah. of Light and with that World War One game. Uh, Valiant Hearts. Valiant Hearts. And... It's just something that I think brings a lot of credibility to a bigger publisher. It brings yeah. a lot of respect for smaller gamers. Onanaki is not going to be a big game, but it's going to be really exciting for those who like those kinds of games. And so I don't know that Activision is going to be the team that does, that no, publisher that does that because it's not. totally different than what they do. But <laughs> Ubisoft has done it. And I would argue that EA is still doing it. And I would argue that Square Enix is doing it in other ways as well. So, I mean, even think about what they did with, um, I was going to say Infinite Undiscovery. That's not it. What is the other stupid RPG that they released on Switch oh, with a terrible uh, name? Oh, my. <sighs> Last Remnant? Le uh, not Last Remnant. That's another one uh, <laughs> from back in the day. Uh, the. Oh, uh, Octopath Traveler. That's what I was thinking. Oh, about. yeah, yeah. So, like, these aren't coming from big teams. And no. Octopath Traveler actually was probably pretty valuable to them. The point I'm trying to make is that. That game's beautiful. It is. The, I still can't believe it hasn't come to PS4. I think Nintendo might have published it, though, or semi or uh, co-published it. 
so I don't think that there's a good strategy here for big publishers, but I think that it's a good strategy if you want to have grassroots support and you want to have something to point at if you're an EA and everyone's like, you guys fucking suck and all you care about is microtransactions and FIFA and blah, blah, blah. Well, you can be like, hey, we released a way out and we released this Yarny game and we were trying to do other stuff. I mean, I think that that's somewhat of a legitimate thing for publishers to do. Yeah, but you have sure. to be clear that they're not making money on these games. You know, Square Enix said that I am Satsuno did not make money. And yet they still made Lost Fear, which was a worse game. And after that, I was like, there's no way they're going to survive this. And then they're still around. So good things happen sometimes. I hope I hope Onanaki is great. I really do. I, I hope they sell millions of copies of that game so that they can come. You know, Tokyo, Tokyo RPG Factory becomes this force. I love how literal that name is. It's awesome. It's a yeah. great name. Yeah, it's, it's literal in so many ways, right? Yeah. Based in Tokyo, they make role playing games and it is a factory because they're making them so quickly. <laughs> With like 16 month death cycles, which, by the way, is how long it used to take to make 16 bit uh, RPGs. Elliot wrote in and said, hey, guys, with the recent news that Xbox is removing Cortana and adjusting the Xbox One UI accordingly, how would you redesign the PS4 or upcoming PS5 UI? What would your UI look like? Thanks again for your insightful commentary. So, Chris, we brought this up a little bit earlier, but if you had control, what would you like to see? What what would if you turn on the PS5? What what greets you when you turn it on? Oh, my God. Just the list of all my games, I think. Like a list as opposed to a bar. Like the way Steam works, like your yeah, library. Okay. I think I want my library to be, the, to be the first thing. Steam's a great example of what I think we... Uh, not not with that very deep, mouse-driven interface, yeah. but something like that, right? Yeah. A community for every game, a way to review and leave text reviews and have message boards for games. Yeah. And Oh, I would love well, to see that. I don't know. Like Xbox has that, I think, on, on the Xbox One, I think. They have like community pages and like a page for every game and like a hub I think oh yeah they have that on PlayStation 4 as well but it's not useful it's not yeah exactly it's like I I never bother to check it because I just want to play the the damn thing (laughs) it shows basically I I don't know how deep it goes on Xbox One but the pages for these games show like is anyone streaming it yeah is anyone playing it right now I'm sure it's literally the same thing but I would love to see a place where you can go in forums and get help and uh, you can like Add it to a wish list and gift it like someone was saying earlier yeah yeah gifting is good let me know when this game's on sale which they would never do you know, stuff like that. So uh, yeah. I would uh, this steam does that probably. Right. Yeah. F- uh, yeah, for sure. Because they don't give a fuck. Such <laughs> a libertarian marketplace. It's really cool. So, yeah, I, that's what I would love to see. It's not so much the aesthetic as much as it's the value of what we're being shown. Yeah. I think the icons are too big and there's too much wasted real estate. You yeah, can, I agree. You can do a lot more with that space. So, yeah, a lot of negative space. I would love a, just a list on the left hand side of all as many games as you can fit on that screen of the ones that I own. And just whatever on the right, whatever. Like literally anything. I don't give a shit. I just want to see everything it's that I have. It's going to be a picture of my dick on the right. All right. Well, maybe not that. Maybe of that's every a PS5. You're all going to be very impressed. <laughs> Final inquiry has comes. a nice majestic chime as it turns on. It just like slowly expands. <laughs> <laughs> Rolling it out. Yeah. Avery Ilias wrote in and said, do you think we will get an Undead Nightmare 2 expansion for Red Dead Redemption 2? I distinctly remember Undead Nightmare being one of the first DLC packs that could be bought standalone and was considered one of the bigger and better DLC packs at the time. And as I remember, it was considered the best DLC up to that point ever released. It was great. I loved the first Undead Nightmare. I might have played it more than the main game. You could tame the four horses of the apocalypse, light zombie bear hordes on fire and even have a conversation with a Sasquatch. Undead Nightmare 2 could be such a good complimentary add on to an already amazing game. But do you think Rockstar has it cut out for them or will they ignore main story based DLC like what they like they once promised? With GTA Five, I think that I think story based stuff is gone. Me too. I think, I think it just it's expensive as hell, 
And also, just they made so much money on on uh, Red Dead anyway, and they they got Red Dead Online to worry about. Yeah, Red Dead Online apparently is not in great shape, so they have their hands full, I think, with that. Mm-hmm, you know, yeah. enough. Uh, not that it really matters because they're making money hand over fist. Exactly. But, and GTA, we were talking about the casino stuff with GTA Five. I mean, that's still yeah. going. I think that the big thing that they can point at, Chris, and we've we've pointed this out when Red Dead came out, was that I really think that Rockstar made a very valuable package that didn't have to be that big. I think that... Yeah, that last... The last third of the game could have been a DLC, and I wouldn't have been mad about that at all. In fact, I think the game's too long. So I think that they can... If anyone's like, where is the Undead Nightmare or your DLC? They can be like, listen, guys, we gave you a fucking 80-hour campaign. You know? Yeah, and a great one, by the way. Yeah, very in-depth. So I agree with you. I just think that Rockstar has walked away from... You know, remember, Red Dead came out before... And I think... Undead Nightmare also came out before GTA 5 came out at all, even on the last oh, console. Yeah, sure, yeah. So everything's changed now for Rockstar internally. It's it's totally a different world. And like I said, GTA 6, there's rumors about GTA 6. I don't think they're true, but I would not be shocked if GTA 6 was not a single player game at all. I, I that, That's kind of like where I stand at this point. Like, I, I don't. It's disappointing, but I just think that the their bre- their bread is buttered by this very specific thing. And, and if I was a shareholder of that company, I'd be like, there's no way in fucking hell you're making a single player DLC pack. You know, I want money. And what I want is you to make the most money. And that's with these online components. So, yeah, I think Grand Theft Auto 6 might never happen. And I think that if it does, I think it's going to be an all online or at yeah. least a co-op but they game. also do make these like really complete games like i wouldn't argue like i wasn't that big of a fan of gta 5 when it came out just because i didn't really care about any of the characters at all but like i would never argue that that is an incomplete game even like when it launched that's a solid campaign you have yeah the, like the, a long game uh, red dead 2 is the same i don't think it needs an undead nightmare really Although I will say that that would be amazing. It would be great. Because Undead Nightmare was probably my favorite. I think it is my favorite DLC, actually. It would be great, but it would be I would be surprised because what they what they it's unnecessary. They can make this $30 expansion or $20 expansion or they can make a $60 game. And I, I exactly. Just, yeah. Or they can just make a bunch of shit and sell it on GTA online. So I don't I'm really what I would love to see. I think we're too focused with Rockstar Development in San Diego and in Leeds and other places, New York City. Where they're headquartered, where they're publishing. I want to see a new bully. Bull- I think you are going to see a new bully. There's been a lot of rumor about that for a long time. I think that that's substantive. Can you imagine that game coming out now? No, that's amazing. I would. Oh God, they would what do it. I they're would, the one. They're one of the people that can do it and get yeah, away with for it for sure. But like, I, I would, I would give so much for a new bully in this environment. My God. That would be incredible. Just the amount of articles that oh, I can already see. They would probably love it. I mean, that's why the untenable oh, nature sure. of it is probably why they would do it. But I really think that what we need to focus on the most with Rockstar, what I want them to see, make something new, like just something totally new. And I think now is the time they have so much capital and just so much goodwill just disappear and make something new for five years and just release it when it's ready. And whatever it is, it is. Yeah. I, I think that anything they make is going to mint money for them. I think it's just a matter of like how flexible their shareholders and publishers are in that in that regard. Take two obviously is is kind of pulling the strings there. So I don't think the Howishers have as much control as they used to over the kind of creative output of the studios anymore. So that's kind of the one disappointing thing is that I'm like, well, remember when we were really excited when they announced the agent or whatever on PS3 yeah. that never came out. But I was like, it's it was exciting because we didn't know what the fuck it was. Rockstar hasn't made something like that since like Manhunt or Bully. And it's been a long time since those games came out. I just got Bully on uh, PS4. I never played it. Bully came out 
when 05, 06? Something like that, yeah. It came out around Destroy Humans time. Man, Manhunt came out in 04. And really, that was like... And they did try other stuff. They had the Warriors and others. But like... Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I get most excited, Chris, thinking about what that talent can be unleashed. Yeah. What current rock star can do. I mean... Would be incredible. With the money that they can make, the, the talent that they attract, the not, work ethic that they employ. Not even from a gameplay standpoint, honestly. I just... I, I know at this point that they can just be relied upon to just deliver really good stories. I'm not at all interested in the Wild West. No, at no. all. Yeah. And I was obsessed with it because of that game. Sure. It would be really, you know, I would like to see something outside of the third. They, they would never do this. They're going to make a third person open world game no matter what they do, I think. that Now, Manhunt isn't that and, and Bully's kind of a limited game like that, but they'll make a game like that, but it would be really exciting to just see, like, think about the potential of a game like Mafia 3, which was really well executed from yeah. a from a production standpoint, but not from a gameplay standpoint. A mafioso story, uh, a Victorian story about the about late 19th century England. Yeah. or something. I would love to see what a they mafia story would be awesome to see from them. Yeah. But I mean, when we kind of got mafia a mafia story, GTA mafia, 3 yeah. was kind of a mafia story. That's true. But it's been a while. GTA 3 is uh, 18 years old. I liked Mafia 2, honestly. I liked Mafia 2 more than 3. Yeah, for sure. Because it felt a little more uh, confined. Mafia 3 was cool, but then... See, this is the thing about open world creep. Like, that game was just so big. And I'm like, why is this game so big? The characters were awesome in, in Mafia 3. That black kid that came home and he was yeah, yeah. all upset about the way he was treated in Vietnam and all the racism and stuff. A lot of very interesting to you know, subject matter. Who developed uh, those? Hangar 13, I think, is the team that made them. They're in San Francisco or outside of San Francisco. They're still around? Yeah. That's a talented team, for real. I think so, too. I think the, the rumor about them... It's unclear what 2K is doing. 2K used to have 2K Marin, which they yeah, rebranded Hangar 13. And then there's another studio up there. Bioshock is being made up there by someone. Oh, I don't know if God. it's Hangar 13 or someone, but they're making a Bioshock game for yeah. sure. You know, I mean, that's been a that's been a long running rumor. And there's no way that Take Two next gen. is going to walk away from a Bioshock game, even though Ken Levine have nothing to do with it. That's a next gen for sure. Right? Yeah, I would think so. At this point, if it hasn't been talked about at all. I would think so. There's been, I think, some people that have leaked that they have worked on it, but I don't know. Yeah, but not anything like substantial or confirm confirming. Yeah, really. no, nothing like that. And I think they have. It's a big lift for them because Bioshock Two was not well received because Ken Levine had nothing to do with it. I think that that's unfair because I think Bioshock Two is really good. But I, I would, I would like to see a new Bioshock game. I think a Bioshock game in space is probably the next logical conclusion of of these different settings. I think that would be pretty neat. But again, and people like to write about the things I say on here all the time. You can write about what I just said, but, you know, <laughs> what do you mean? People like I, I wrote what I say things. I'm like, oh, I heard this or someone told me this. And everyone's like, you know, confirmed. Kyle Moriarty. Oh, confirmed. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I, you know, listen to what I say. Guys, there is a brand new Legacy of Kane game mm. coming out in three days. It's unbelievable. Surprise release. Surprise. You heard it here first. It's going to be a Thursday release. Go to your <laughs> midnight GameStop release. Yeah. And they, if they're acting like they don't know what you're talking about, they're lying. To you. Yeah. You got to say the secret code. It's it's uh, I won't tell you here. The secret code is Amy Hennig. <laughs> all right, Chris, that's all we have. Amy Hennig worked on that game, if you didn't know. Yeah. I was talking to the audience. I knew you, you knew. Chris, that's all I have for this episode of Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. It's fairly beefy, all things considered. <sighs> I like it beefy. I don't like it when you say things like that. Well, I know. By the way. I really love your obsession with this word eldritch. I just think it's, it's a good word. It's a really, I told and I've you. I've also I, just seen a lot of things that really fit it. Right. Lately. It's, it's like a great that word. Like that disgusting, like that worm, like what other word really? Yeah, no, it's a great word. I, like I told you, it's, it's a word that I had to look up. I never even heard of that word. And it's a great word. I yeah. just wanted to show you support. Another on, great on. one is homunculus. 
Homunculus. You've used that as well. What does that mean? Uh, it just it just means a vaguely humanoid, like <laughs> literally, like it, it doesn't mean anything really. It just means like a, a mass. The rat of, king. Yeah, disgusting. Yeah, a rat king would be a homunculus. Fair enough. Well, remember next week. You will not only get episode 50, what, eight of the show, but we're going to start rolling out Sacred Symbols Plus every Friday. So be excited for that. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. So you can get those extra episodes as well as submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas to our show. Get ad free access, etc. Chris, do you have any closing comments? Uh, I think I think we covered it. I think no, we're good. I think we're good, too. We'll see you next time. Appreciate you. Love you. Goodbye. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded right here in sunny Santa Monica, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris R. Gunn and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gunn. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. Any snail mail can be sent to the CLS P.O. Box, P.O. Box 1233, Santa Monica, California, 90406. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Carlos Algaret, Morgan Ashley, Taylor Barkley, Sean Battershall, Martin Beck, Eric Bishop, Mark Boggio, Eli Bosford, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Jimmy Brown, Jason Budnick, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Andrew Burkhart, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Alex Cabrera, Tom Cargill, Patrick Carper, William O'Carroll, Brian Chan, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Gio Corsi, Nick Cummings, Daniel D'Amore, Colin Davenport, Mitchell Durkash, Zachary Douglas, Knight Draft, David Ellis, Martha Emery, Liam Fagan, Joe Finelli, Eric Finken. Biner, Fodios Frangos, Michael Gallier, Chris Galvin, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem Al Ghanem, Daniel Glassford, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Tyler Harris, Kyle Hagel, Wyatt Henry, Asa Haas, Azan Isa Al Ricey, Josh Yeager, John Jameson, Jimmy Jolicure, Joshua Jonathan, Greg Julifs, Anton Kay, Jeremy Key, Antti Kinnanen, James Kinsler III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Jackson Lastiqua, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith A. Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Colin Love, Josh M., Ryan T. Mandel, Peter Mark, Michael Martinez, Sean Mason, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Josh McKinney, Joe McPartland, Andrew Mendoza, Christopher Midling, Alex Moans, Chris Moore, Betty Ann Moriarty, Ryan Murdoch, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, George A. Nunez, Grayson Orr, Brian Ott, Jorge Palomino, Daniel Parsons, Marius S. Peterson, Gerald Pennington, Enrique Perez, James Perone, Jason Pettit, Jeff Pollard, Louis Powell, Lawrence F. Prokop, Andrew Ramos, Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Mark Richardson, Toby D. Riemenschneider, Austin Riley, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, John Josh Salinas, Jose Salinas, John Scholes, Michael Shanholtz, Toby Schutman, Glendon Cole Simper, Joshua Smallwood, Daniel Strycharsk, Ahmad Tamar, Will Thielander, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Alan Tremblay, Jacob Turnbaugh, Raymond Vargas, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Connor Walton, Isaac Wastman, Damon Weathers, Mike Wayant, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zaniga, Hugo's Desk, Organic Produce, Casual Misfits Gaming, Supershot ST, Homeworld Hub, Throw7, Nick C, Infinite, Mad Mock Media, Fabian, Mubarak, Richter86, Andrew, Ian, Chris, Dav9834, Donk2015, and Gavin. Kenneth Ohms. Oop. Disgusting. Yeah, a little burp there. The fact that he's a human being is heinous to me. I'm burping myself. Does that actually work? It, I feel like that doesn't work. It does work. work. You just got to get low enough in your back. I feel like I need to be hit with a truck on the back to really for, to feel anything. You almost me. got hit with a meteor in the back. Yeah, I wish. You can host the best backyard barbecue. 
when you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.